welcome back again. It's episode 27. A warm welcome to heretics, mutants, renegades everywhere. And uh, and even the odd loyalist and maybe a Xenos as well. Hey, eh, Ben? Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> welcome back, guys. Thanks for joining us yet again um, for another Two Peas in the Pod uh, tonight or this afternoon or whatever time it is now we're recording this ben we are going to be discussing on the hobby desk as normal um anybody that follows us on social media won't fail to notice that ben is cranking stuff out at such a rate um to be honest i'm just going to start mailing him my models uh because it's it's amazing uh so we'll be talking a bit about that then we'll go into the galaxy of war now i've just listened to a bit of the opening theme from pacific rim because it's got giant battling robots and we went to the forge world open day and saw slightly mini giant battling robots so we want to talk about that and um kill team as well into the mortal realms ben's been thinking about the theme for his uh, his next project and all those stormcasts he's been doing so we'll have a chat about that um and if you're still awake after listening to that we'll go uh, out into the community we've been to geek fest and we've got a couple of shout outs to do and finally into the wilds yes not so wild so uh it's it's all about uh lord of the rings pelinor fields that we saw again up at the open day so lots of cool stuff to talk about um i've had a coffee in case you hadn't noticed i've even got some grapes ben trying to be healthy got my grapes <laughs> so that's good isn't it um i'll eat a few of them they always uh always go down well alongside a you know a tube of pringles so um <laughs> <laughs> i've got me grapes i've got me refreshments guys grab some refreshments ben are you refreshed i am refreshed i am very refreshed it's, it's the morning well, so, in that um, case so i've had sleep <laughs> you've slept oh my goodness yeah. this is outrageous so let's go on to the hobby desk Hi guys, and welcome to episode 27. Um, we've, we've got a little bit of a few extra things to talk about on the hobby desk today. We're not going to just uh, rattle through um, the work we've been up to because in, in doing... It's partly due to the fact that I have heroically managed to... The only thing I have painted is the decking in my garden. But it was very two nice. Weeks. <laughs> it, it does look. I'm very pleased with it. My, uh, my dad helped me jet wash it off with his semi-industrial diesel electric powered uh pressure washer i don't um, know anyone who would buy something that was so over spec for a task that it could cut through the wood it was funny when i turned it up just to see what it would do and i cut a hole in me bloody deck in (laughs) it doesn't sound like anyone i know i think you do know you know one other person (laughs) other than my dad who would I do. I'm talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, so that's done. Yeah. So what? Let's uh, let's go through like we normally do and, and talk about what we've done. So I've um, I've been trying to get on with a project. Um, I have this. I had I had a dream to get <laughs> to get all of the stuff that I haven't done over the last goodness knows how long um, finished. 
and that I don't necessarily mean every kit that I've ever bought, but the core stuff, like the starters kits and those kind of stuff. I've I've diligently bought every single one of them and painted one of them, I think, over the years, uh, which is ridiculous. Um, but which I've, one was it that you painted? Well, I painted the Space Marine half of Black Reach. It was the kind of starting point for my um, uh, Iron Snakes. That was a tactical squad, wasn't it? Tactical squad, a Dreadnought, and um, Squad of Terminators. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I did those as like the starting point of my Black Reach ones. They did. They had a bit of conversion done to them, but... There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, you had that awesome running dreadnought. No, that was that was that came later. Oh. <laughs> the the running dreadnought. Oh dear. Um, so, um, I'd really like to go back and do them all, um, which is going to take a while, uh, but it is something I want to do in the background. So I started with because it feels felt appropriate to do the the current Age of Sigma box set or the old Age of Sigma box set before the Soul Wars came out. So. Um, I've been rattling through the side of the box that, that I had no interest in at all, um, which is part of the reason why they've never been done, uh, which is the corn one. Um, but it it's got me talking, or got me thinking and interacting with people about batch painting again, because a lot of the painting I've been doing over the last, or since we started this podcast again, Dan, has been pretty pretty focused. I've been working hard to get them all looking as nice as I could do in the time that I had. But I haven't really been batch painting, but I sat down and, and did the corn very much as I would have done store models. Um, mm. So very fast, using techniques that um, allow you to paint 20 models at a time without um, wanting to cry. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, uh, so that's what I've been doing. I'm really chuffed with how they've turned out, actually. Um, yeah, they look great, mate. They they they're kind of corn in my style, which is not red, but getting their red colours from suggestion and blood. And um, apart from the blood warriors, they they got they had red armor, but um, it's nice in a way though, because that makes makes the more elite blood warriors really stand out. Yes, yeah, I thought so. And the speed that you got the Blood Reavers done is is excellent, especially, you know, as many armies would want quite a lot of those. I don't particularly want to do any more. That's a shame, because I've sent you 40. <laughs> <laughs> please, do, please don't refuse them at the door. <laughs> I, um, I did. I was actually in Games Workshop this week, and I found myself standing looking at a box of Blood Warriors, thinking, I could do this very easily. Be for it nice and easy for me to pick up and just add to my corner. I mean, I was like, "No, Ben, no! What are you nah. doing, Ben?" <laughs> <laughs> the corruption begins. <laughs> yeah. See, that's because the chaos gods know your weakness, which is the the nice looking stuff painted at a a speed that feels achievable, and they they're getting to you that way. Yeah, well, it just so happens that I found the stormcast not much not much slower. Although we'll see. Oh. See with the sacrosanct chamber, but anyway, that box set is done, and I'm really chuffed with that. Um, there's interesting stuff comes out when you paint things, isn't it? So, it probably in the end, my favourite model in the whole box set is um, is the blood secretor. 
because it's full of character and mm. completely different from anything corn that I've seen. So corn is always big, muscly dudes like dressed like man of war bondage Vikings and they're <laughs> covered in blood and they look, yeah, they're, they're that kind of thing. Whereas this guy is like, He's fat and he's flabby. He's muscled, but he's kind of in a sort of sort of squat position. He's... Which one are you talking about? Um, the blood, not blood secretor. Blood stoker. Blood stoker. Mean. Yeah, the blood stoker. Um, and he's got that whip, and it's it's got it's twelve inch range. That whip. Yeah, amazing. What? No, his, his I'm ability. Not going to dwell on that. <laughs> no, his, his ability that that where he whips people into a frenzy is twelve inch range, which I always think is hilarious. Well, maybe like, they're pleased. just maybe they're just scared of him getting anywhere near them with that whip. Uh, that's probably more likely. Probably just brandishes it in their direction. But he shouts, "Look at my belly!" <laughs> he looks like the sort of slavers from. Lord of the Rings stuff and like his mouth is very much like the mouth from the you know the mouth of Sauron, mm-hmm. and yeah, he just he's just really sinister and spiteful. Like I just thought he was very good and like a nice new direction for, for a corn model. Um, mm. Where yeah, so that, yeah, that was fun. Enjoyed that, and I've been working on um, the Night Haunt from my box set because I thought I'd do the ones that I had less interest in first from Soul Wars. Um, so they're all finished painting them yet? Uh, not all of them. I'm quite a long way through the, um, the, the, what are they called? Chain rasps. The chain rasps, yeah. Um, they, um, they're fun. Actually, they're really nice models. (laughs) They're really easy to paint too. So, yeah, they won't take long at all. I'll probably get them finished this afternoon, actually. Which is good. Very good. Lots of lots of like tr- tricks on that, but we're going to come back to that later because we've, I've I've dug out a few things on speed painting. We're going to talk about, but we were also going to have a chat about um, when it comes to unit painting about transfers because we love transfers. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I got into a place where I thought I've got so many space wolves now. That they can't all be Ragnar's company. So I thought, oh, it would be quite a good idea to get <laughs> Dragon Gaze and um, do a second company. Um, and I was like, oh, Games Workshop do that wicked transfer sheet with all of the, you know, Dragon Gaze stuff on and, and the Grimnar stuff, which and I'm going to say it on record. I think it is absolutely ridiculous that Grimnar's transfers are always black when they are white. They're supposed to be white. Mm. Drives me mad. Anyway, but so I went to get. <laughs> okay, uh, so I, um, I went online to get that transfer sheet, and it had sold out. Oi! Huh? Pardon? Yeah, I'm talking about space wars. Just. Oh, I'll go back to sleep. Yeah, you go back to sleep, and we'll talk about <laughs> grown-up stuff. Um, so okay. I, I um. I went online to get the transfer sheet and found they hadn't got it. And then I had a look around the site, and there was there was a whole bunch of stuff that the transfers that aren't there anymore that used to be, um, which is a real shame, I think. Um, but when we were in Warhammer World a couple of weeks ago for Father's Day, I did. They had some behind the counter, so I picked up some then. But um, 
it is a bit gutting, I think, that we lose. We seem to be losing transfers because when it comes to painting a large army, nothing is better. I think. Yeah, I mean, we've discussed it briefly before, and you know my feelings. I think they're ace, and I didn't used to like them at all. They used to drive me mad. I think part part of the reason is probably because um, it's similar reason to. Do you remember when we discussed Adeptus Titanicus at Warhammer Fest and they said they wouldn't be selling magnets? Yes, yeah. Um, well, I think Microsoul and Microset, or products like them, but those ones in particular, are absolutely vital to the getting good use out of a transfer and a use that you're going to not just get annoyed with. Yeah. Um, and I <laughs> said in one of our little chats... Um, chat groups. If you ever go into a games workshop or, or anywhere, in fact, but, um, and someone tells you all you need is Ard Coat and Lamia Medium, they should be slapped around the face and told that they are the reason that transfers are dying and therefore, um, the hearts of many a hobbyist are withering up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. Because it's rubbish. So I think probably that's part of the reason that, you know, transfers are quite you have to do it right to get them you do have to do it right and properly and also i think you can probably there will be more perceived value in an upgrade pack of plastic parts to make something look like an ultramarine where maybe if it was a transfer sheet for just ultramarines the the value is not seen as great so for example a, a what's the Primaris upgrade pack? Ten pounds. Yeah. So, you you wouldn't ever sell a sheet of transfers for one ten man unit for ten pounds. No, I, but I think it's disappointing. We talked about this on the way to. That's not Ooh. a justification, by the way. That's just me thinking about why, why it is. Because I I flip and love transfers, and it it really. I think it's such a shame to see them disappear because they allow you to take your painting and the, the the final product to a level, another level, basically, that, you know, I I do not have the inclination or skill uh, or patience to, to learn to freehand to the levels that I see. Uh, and, that, and I think it's incredible that people do it. And it's wonderful. Uh, it's not for me. So transfers give me the chance to put something on the table that I'm happy with, um, which otherwise I wouldn't be able to do. But then, would anyone really want to paint a hundred space wolf faces? You know, oh, I don't know wolf heads on a shoulder pad. I mean, it, I wouldn't have thought so, but I, I find that I, I, I do. I would be surprised. And maybe they're out there. Those people who could do that quickly are out there, but. I think the other thing they let you do, which is nice, is add extra bits. So, like, again, going back to the upgrade kits, um, which I don't think there's anything wrong with the upgrade kits, by the way, um, particularly. I know that some of them have got some odd choices of what you actually get in there. But I like being able to add all the little bits. So, like, for example, on my Imperial Knight, all the little warning signs and stuff around like the reactor and the entrances and all of that stuff, which you, you aren't going to get a molded piece of detail for that. No, it wouldn't look look right for a start. And so it's all those little bits. So, and and we say, you know, uh, 
I am aware that a number of before people are saying, but there are transfers. You know, the Primaris box set comes with transfers for Ultramarines, so that's cool. The Knight, the Imperial Knight transfer sheet is just wonderful, really, really nice. Um, and there are still some great transfer sheets out there. It's just a shame that, particularly those core ones that they did for the Space Marines. Mm. Um, are no longer available, and also like the space Forge one. world have been getting rid of some. They have, yeah. Like the uh, um, va- the Valkyrie one was um... the Valkyrie one was stunning, and you know, at the end of the day, I suppose if the demand's not there, the demand's not there. Um, but certainly with somewhere like Forge World, which is quite specific, I think having that stuff available. I don't. You know, I don't see it why not. You though. out as a little bit more specialist. I don't. I don't see why not. I d- the problem is the reason why I'm really disappointed by the whole thing is it. It doesn't require storage. They can be so easily made to order. It's it's actually quite ridiculous. Mm. You could have a printer sat in the corner of the Forge World factory, printing them to order. I mean, why get rid of them? I don't know if they produce them themselves, mate, or they outsource it. Well, I, I, but don't, I, I don't know the answer is, to there that. Are some, there are some people coming to the rescue, so Fallout Hobbies particularly in the States. Um, I got some custom printed ones from them, which are really, really nice. Yeah. Um, really nice as well. Like they, I sent off, I drew a design on a piece of paper sent it off to them and then they made it they improved upon it put it on a transfer said is this what you want it's not cheap but the hobby's not cheap to be frank um no. so that's very very good and th- there are other other transfer sites uh, one of the things that i didn't think about until recently is looking at model railway transfers as well uh, um, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of them especially if you just want numbers or roman numerals or letters because on various scales of railway, all the way from the really tiny stuff to the bigger stuff that, you know, you, you find you can ride around on and all the rest of it. There are companies that produce transfers for all the like lettering and logos and warning signs and all of that for all the rolling stock. Yeah, you're right. There is. I'd never even thought of that. So, so, so that's... as it's a hobby desk, we should talk about, we should talk about how it is that we do transfers because I think I think that's kind of that's useful, isn't it? So Dan's mentioned them already. There's two projects, uh, two products, and in fact, they do more um, other ones that I'm not quite sure how they would be used, but other stuff by Microscale. So there's Microset um, and Microsol. Now Microset, they both rank, as in they they smell. And if you're unlucky enough to put your brush in your mouth after you've used them, taste utterly vile. Um, and it's probably for those reasons, like Dan's alluded to, that Games Workshop doesn't produce them. Because I think Games Workshop are bound by some law that other companies aren't necessarily governed by. Um, I think it's probably the breadth of age range that Games Workshop are looking to be able to put onto their products. Yeah. That's what I suspect is the case. So essentially what you do is you get your surface, um, you paint it, Dan and I paint it with a gloss varnish because having a smooth surface to put the put them on, the, the transfer on, reduces the risk of having a bubble underneath and, and makes the adherence a little bit better. 
And then you get the micro set solution and paint that on the area after the gloss varnish is dry. And then using warm water, because it softens the transfer a little bit, you get the transfer off of the sheet. Um, moisten it. Now I put it on a wet, a warm wet sponge rather than it soaking it because it's easier to dry. And then I soak my brush in Microset again and then I use that to slide it onto the model. And then I paint Microset over the top um, once I've positioned it. And then I leave it um, and let it dry for, for preferably overnight actually. But it can be, I can, I've done it after 10 minutes. I've dried it with a hairdryer and it works just as well. And then paint over Microsol. Now Microsol, sort of dissolves I suppose the backing paper doesn't it and just leaves the pigment um, yeah. and it also kind of really hammers the transfer into the surface so with Microsol which is the second product it will go into panel lines it will it will really look painted on um, and you can you can get a really good finish with it um, and then when it's dry um, some people then put another coat of gloss varnish over the top of that and then a coat of a matte varnish of some kind, like Lamia Medium or whatever, um, to tie it into whatever surface you're on. Um, I often leave out the gloss varnish stage at that point. But um, So then what you've got is you'll have your decal, the pigment of your decal, on your shoulder pad. Now, sometimes you'll want that to look pristine and perfect, um, other times I can find some of them can look a little stark, like particularly if you've used a white transfer over a, a background. Uh, red I find really terrible actually, Dan. I don't know if you've ever found that, but the tone of red is very different from any painted tone of red that um, mm. I use. And then I will paint into some of them to um, to get some sort of shading into them. And um, Martin Payne does that very well. Um, and he's a chap that we've just featured on our page. So if you haven't seen his work, I suggest you go and look at his because they, he does a really good job of working back into transfers. Um, better than anyone I've seen, actually. And um, and also weathering. So I sometimes wash a bit of Agrax Earthshade over the top or um, some weathering powders to sort of make it look like it's been there and you can chip it um, and get your desired effect. Um, so... Um, any, anything you'd like to add to that? Oh, I've got a visitor. It's a goblin. Hello, goblin. What's that? <laughs> That's Tristan <laughs> in his school photo. It's Lady Corn. It's not a goblin. It's Lady Corn. I don't know what her name is, darling. No, mine said her name. What's her name? Um, I don't know her name. You say her. Oh, but I don't know any of them, darling. Mine just said Well, I know her. Tristan, of course, but... No, that one's a... Um, I don't know our name. You're going to say hello to Dan Jolly? Hello. Say, where's the phone? It's in my ear. <laughs> you say hello there. Say hello. 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 <laughs> you can hear him from there. Yeah, I can hear him through there. It's clever, isn't it? Oh, do you have anything dear. to say about transfers? I do indeed. So um, I hear something. <laughs> I'm gonna pause it and um and and take Edwin off. <laughs> yeah. So um, okay. 
couple things that I would add. Sorry about that, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, firstly, I'm going to post a couple of links uh, over the next couple of weeks to some videos on YouTube, which I used and changed my world when it came to transfers when I first started. Yeah. Um, and it's also worth saying I, I had the really fortunate chance to have Henry Steele show me some stuff around transfers when I was at an MKA painting course. And his work with transfers is amazing. So um a couple of things. So yeah, they're not called MKA there anymore. No, it's they? called to paint you... now. I think uh, he does his stuff paint. for, so that's cool. Um So firstly, when with a microset, what it's doing is it's softening the transfer. So yeah. Um, I think it's really important when you move the transfer onto the miniature, which has got microset on, that you leave it for a few minutes, um, just to soften. Um, may- maybe a minute, maybe two minutes. Um, you know, get, you'll find your way. I mean, I'm not an expert, but that's what my advice would be. Um, and then what I tend to use is a cotton bud and I'll start by pushing the cotton bud down on the center of the transfer to lock it in place. Um, and then start rolling the cotton bud out to the edge of the transfer, which rolls the air out from underneath it. Um, and, uh, I'll do that all over. And particularly on the bigger transfers, that's really important just to make sure the air bubbles are gone. Um, once you've done that, uh, let it dry, like Ben says. Now, it's important, though, that if you're doing a transfer over a particularly delicate or, or difficult surface, um, the example Henry showed me was on the door of a of a Demios Rhino, um, and you want it to go down into the cracks or anything like that, you need to get a very, very sharp knife blade at this point and start cutting the transfer in um, ever so slightly, because otherwise, when you get to the next stage the transfer will go funny as it sucks down onto the model. Because what the microsole then does is, like Ben says, it, it dissolves the paper, but it it's kind of weird because you put it on and sometimes it can actually start looking like it's bubbling. Uh, yeah, it can. It's, it's got to have that's faith. That's <laughs> it. You leave it and it will suck down on to the, onto the model. And that's where you get that, where it conforms and it starts to get that painted look. Um what I would then say is it's really important that if you want to battle damage your transfer, so you want to take a bit off, um, either with a sharp knife blade or what, what have you, you got to do it now before you get your varnish on, because yeah. otherwise it will be a bugger. Um, also worth saying that once you've put the microsole on, you won't be able to move the transfer because it's it's kind of adhered to the surface. So if you're not happy with its position... Um, or you change your mind, you need to be doing that while you're at the microset stage um, to, to go back in on. Uh, so those are, I suppose, the key bits that I would add to what Ben said. But the main thing is, you know, rank amateur in comparison to some of the stuff. And there's a couple of really good videos, so I'll stick them up. But don't... I spent a long time being afraid to try it out. I bought microset and microsoft and just sat it on the shelf. It is much simpler and quite enjoyable, more enjoyable than yeah. I thought. So that's that's the key thing from me. Um, and I would, you know, um, when you've done what you want to do, um, before you do any weathering, you know, once you've, if you want to scrape bits off, great, do that. But before you start hitting it with powders and stuff, get a coat of varnish on. Um, and actually yes. the thing we were shown at 
the MKA course or, or what will now be the cop paint is, you know, very thin, but we used a lot of gloss varnish layers in between doing things because the advantage is with a gloss varnish layer that if you then make a mistake, if you go back in with some um, uh, thinner or um, cleaner on a cotton bud, I think it's thinner is the one I use mostly, you can actually remove the paint back to, as long as you're gentle and you don't go mad, back to the previous gloss. It's like a save point. That's how they described it. It's like a save point on your miniature. <laughs> so you can go back and take stuff off back to that point. So there you go. A couple of, yeah. couple of uh, actual hobby tips in our hobby desk section. <laughs> and some common sense almost from me, which is weird. Well, I think it, uh, well, it was you that got me into transfers because I saw your um, Iron Warriors um, Rhino and had a kitten because <laughs> it's just it well, it's stunning and um, and I really want you to post pictures of that because you keep avoiding doing it, um, but now now is it's happening because it really is very good and that was a product of that course um, and it. It changed my view on transfers completely. And the, those videos are very good, guys. Um, they were the ones that Dan sent me when I was first getting into them. So I really suggest you have a, have a look at them. And, and don't be afraid of using transfers because you can very quickly paint a, or get the, for example, the Ultramine symbol on a whole company of Ultramines would take you an afternoon. It's also worth saying um, a couple of things to be careful of as well. Some transfer sheets, particularly a couple of the Forge World ones, are not like, I don't know if it's a die cut thing or what it is they do, but some of them, it doesn't matter what shape you cut out around the transfer, the paper, the, the transfer sheet, the, the, the film... Uh, is the same shape as the the piece, the thing you want. So you put yeah. it in the water and it will float yeah. off and it's fine. But some of them are just one big sheet of that stuff over the whole sheet. So you have to cut that. You know, the shape you cut out will be the shape you get. Um, yes. It's also worth yeah. saying that there are different types. So you've got wa water slide transfers are different to some others. So... Um, I made the mistake of getting some transfers to do shields on some Vikings and um, they weren't water slide and I didn't realise uh, and I was scratching my head and scratching my head until I read the instructions that came with them and they were kind of different. They You essentially peeled off one side, stuck them onto the model and then wetted the backing paper and took it off. It was really different, so oh, keep wow. an eye <laughs> keep different. an eye out for that. Um, I think it was Little Big Men Studio. Lovely transfers once you knew how to use them. Um, so there you go, transfers. So there's a bit on transfers. Maybe Obviously, if you've got questions that you you know go onto the internet and find someone that actually knows what they're talking about first. But if if that doesn't work, by all means, um, message, <laughs> message us. us and ask. You know, it's. It's really yeah. important to Ben and I that people love and enjoy their hobby and feel like it's accessible and they can achieve the things they they want to get, what their hobby is. Um, and yeah. every time yeah, we get yeah, a little yeah. message from someone, you know, oh, I've picked up this, I've done that, I've started that because I've been listening to you guys. That that just it's just fantastic. We're just so happy with that. Mm. Um, so please do uh, do get in contact. Um, 
you know, we'll find time in amongst all the legions of adoring fans to respond to every <laughs> message. <laughs> so, um, the ne- the next thing I'd like to talk about, um, we're gonna, like I said, we've got slightly longer hobby desk this time. Well, won't be that much longer, guys, but, um, is, uh, batch painting, because people have been asking me about batch painting. Um, I'm just trying to find who this article's written for, because uh, what it comes down to when it comes to batch painting with me is, um, is I read an article in uh, White Dwarf. It's issue 308. It's an August issue. It's the one with the wood elves on the front. And it was a, um, it's an article about Tyranids, or Tyranids, however you choose to pronounce that. And, um, it, it it gives a couple of examples of people's different armies. So there's Phil Kelly's. I don't know if you remember them, the black ones with the yellow markings. Yeah, I think they were Phil Kelly's. Um, yeah, and there's a there's a, a couple in there that are really nice. But there's one um, there's one um, done by Guy. Um, I can't see his second name. Irritating when they do that. They'll put they'll just put Guy has done this, but. Um, it's it's a it's an article on how to speed paint tyrannids his his tyrannids and um, they they really it it completely changed my mind about painting so um, the opening paragraph says a lot to me so there comes a day in a painter's life when he realizes uh, when the realization dawns that in order to get an army on the battlefield you can't paint every single model to the best of his ability. Um, for years I used to scoff at this sentiment, presented as it was to me by this very magazine, but then I calculated to paint every snotling in my goblin army at my best level would take me more time than there was actually in my life. <laughs> uh, uh, it hurts like tyrannid um, bioacid in a paper cut to admit it, but admit it I shall, you sometimes have to paint quickly. And and then he goes on to say, but painting quickly doesn't mean painting badly. It's just painting differently, and it's it's a really good article that talks about brushing, dry brushing, um, sort of basic principles of of how you know how to paint a large unit, and um, and there's a, you know I'd like to go through. I'll post the pictures of this up on our on our show notes. But um, so one of the things he talks about is have a limited color palette, um, have a clear idea of what you're going to do, and to tie stages together. So. Um, for example, if you're going to ink or wash something, try and get it so you can wash the whole model rather than just sections of a model. Um, and I think that's a really that's key a lot of the time. Mm. Um, so his Tyran is a dry brushed, um, base coated, then dry brushed, and then he paints the carapace sort of stripes on, um, and then he uses an all over brown ink wash. This is how old this article is. Um, and then picks out the details using a bit of red, bit of green wash, um, and a bit of red ink. Now, we've got, we've got some real blessings nowadays with the products that we've got to be able to do. I, I know I've, I literally tried to recreate those tyrannids and did, I think I got them fairly close to as, as he did. When did you do um, that? Oh, it must be 12 years ago. All right, cool. But before I worked in Games Workshop, um, you can tell because none of the Tyrannids have their mold lines taken off of them. <laughs> um. <laughs> but it's um, 
uh, nowadays uh, we've got some really useful products like the washes are just uh, they're massive they they change everything when it comes to speed painting um and looking at the way he's done his using things like agrax Urshade rather than coming up with a concoction of brown ink and water and a bit of uh, washing up liquid um it does make things a lot easier um so my night horn uh which are what I was working on and what people have been asking about um I quite literally um, airbrushed Zenith airbrushed with white to get the gradient and then just washes of, of, of a few different colour browns and then a green wash almost all over um, and then black washes towards the bottom. So there's, it's really, really fast and I'm doing them across a whole unit um, and it makes it really fast because you can do the same stage across everything and there's no fiddly bits. You know, you're trying to remove them out of fiddly bits that you're doing and if you're doing... The detail. Keep it, keep it simple. Yeah. If that makes any sense, and only do the details that are important. So, for those tyrannids, the only thing I did, literally the only thing I used a detail brush on, was the yellow eyes. And it's just a little blob of yellow, and it's done. The thing is, um, like, you got to think about what where it's going to be viewed from, haven't you? You do. Uh, and uh, actually, when it comes to the unit, how does the unit look? Rather than how does the individual model look? How does the army look? Yeah. How does the unit look? Where am I choosing to put my detail? Should I spend a little bit of extra time on the character? Because that's the one that people are likely to pick up. Um, but making sure that well, your, the process that you're using, it, it cuts out as much chaff as you possibly can. So a limited number of paints. Um, so a limited number of processes, um, and then as broad a, you know, things as you can. So dry brushing the whole model rather than dry brushing a section, washing the whole model rather than washing a whole section, uh, washing it section by section. Mm. Um, the highlights, you know, don't, you don't really want to go back and highlight anything. So use watered down paints and washes to, to keep your, you know, your dry brushed under layers or, you know, zenith, zenith wash, uh, zenith airbrushed, uh, uh base coats there so that you're you're adding the you know the the darker bits rather than you know having to highlight them back up again um so when i did my blood reavers the skin was very much done by zenith highlighted with um white over um gray and then very thin down colors of of the paint um so bugman's went on um you know, rhinoxide. Actually, I found that rhinoxide watered down over grey looked pretty good anyway. Yeah. It didn't, I, I didn't need to do much more than that. Um, and then a little bit of highlighting, um, some uh, washing, a little bit of highlighting. Um, but the washing, I was using colours that I, I wanted to tie into the rest of the model. So quite often, they all got a coat of Agrax, um, the darker skin tones, um, across the whole model. So across all of the leather and the brown bits and all of it. Um, because, for example, so so take take a pair of trousers. So if you've got, um, uh, say, steel Ilgen brown for the trouser colour, but you've got my leg wraps were I did with Rakarth flesh, which is quite a bright colour, um, and then the leather work I did with Mornfang brown, um, and then the boots, you know, were Mornfang brown as well. That all got a coat of Agrax Earthshade, slightly slightly thinned down. Um, I didn't need to do anything else. Yeah. Because, you know, 
they look it looked all right that, at that point. And you can go back in and highlight if you want, but you don't need to get a fine brush to do that. I don't when I'm when I'm batch painting, I use a, a size two brush. I don't go any smaller. And that's another top tip: get your detail brushes and put them away. You don't need them. And psychologically say, I'm not going to use them. The smallest brush I will use is <laughs> except one. Except for those eyes. Yeah, except for the eyes. You know, have a... have a. Th- but if you've got a decent size too, it's got a point that I could do like a simple eye on. Um, and then and then just use that brush. You don't need to use another brush. Um, and if I'm using a dry brush, it's a big dry brush. It's not a tiny dry brush. It's because I want, I want to do a large area. I don't... You know, it doesn't really matter. Um... So uh, that that's um, that's a kind of my brief potted on how I do batch painting, and uh, that article changed the way I considered painting in its entirety. Because before then, I did used to sit there and think, how on earth am I ever going to paint an army of tyrannids? <laughs> how is that possible? <laughs> you know, and I, that sentence—if I can calculate how long it would take me to do my goblin army—it would take me the whole of my life. And I think that's true. If you if you did that. And I've got a lot of respect for the people who have those really slow grow beautiful armies that take them like two years to do thirty space marines and they look stunning. And that's their hobby. But um I I like you have this little part of my soul which wants to have whopping great big tyrannid armies and hordes of gribbly goblins and um you know hordes of ghosts coming out of crypts. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blend them all. <laughs> it's not happening. Um, so I use these, these techniques and it does mean, you know, if you've got decent brush control and relax a little bit, um, and he talks about the, he talks about the four things that hold a painter back from doing it. And I think he's absolutely bang on. So, um, let's get the ask back. Uh, completionism, perfectionism, guilt and blending. <laughs> They're the four. The four cheats enemies, four enemies cheats, cheats enemies. Um, I think I yeah. was just going to say something about because I think it's important that you don't necessarily have to compromise on the end result. Um, you, what you need to do is maybe find a different way of achieving it as well. So yes, you haven't yeah. got to necessarily. What we're not saying is your models need to look worse. Um. And in some, sometimes it, you know, it might be that you, you get to a stage where the model doesn't look as good up close as maybe you'd like it to be. That might happen. But, but equally, there are times. So using dry brushing effectively, using airbrushes effectively are ways that you can achieve effects that could be done through like wet blending, for example, but maybe would take a considerable amount of time longer. I think that's really important. And like Ben said about, wanting those big armies it also depends how much time you've got so if you only get to paint for a couple of hours a week then it's going to take you a long time to get an army done um whichever way you paint Mm. it but certainly if you choose to paint it with a huge amount of detail um and what you want from your hobby as well you know if you if you only want if you've got a particular thing in mind that you desperately want to recreate um, and that's the only thing you really want to do, then why not paint it at a fantastic standard? And if you really enjoy the painting process, painting at a fantastic standard. But, you know, if you want 
to play big games with lots of figures and you want them all painted and you don't want to pay someone to paint them for you, you out. You've got to do. You do need to have that realization. I think. Yeah. Because it's the only you way do. I ever ended up getting anything done. I I I I you <laughs> yeah. know I yeah. I distinctly remember you know between the age of about eleven and probably in well even while I was in games maybe up to when War of the Ring came out with those orcs. Um. Yes. Yeah. You know yeah. those orcs are a really good example of how to back. Yeah, them. and. Even, I would say probably all through the time doing a hobby up until when I left Games Workshop, really, I would start things and not finish them, or I would start things and get annoyed because they didn't look like I wanted, or I would start things and I couldn't achieve my vision. And it wasn't until I sort of, I had a few months off hobbying um, when I left Games Workshop. And when I came back to it, and I just made this conscious decision that actually there was stuff I wanted to get done. And if it didn't look great, well, I'd try harder the next time and and just keep going. <laughs> and that's yeah. actually resulted in... Well, you. the thing is, since... When did I... I think it's six or seven years ago when I, I left. And in that time, everything that I own that's corn that's painted has been painted. Everything Stormcast obviously has been painted. My whole high elf army, four and a half thousand points from eighth edition, has been painted. My three and a half, nearly four thousand points of salamanders has been painted. Three thousand points mm. of ultramarines slash guard have been painted. The only thing I haven't mm. painted in that time was my Eldar army. So, in the sort of, as a kind of achieved, in the what eleven, ten, ten. 12 years, no, 13 years of the first part of my hobby where I was uh, obsessed with this perfection requirement. I've got one two and a half thousand point army to show for it. Yeah. And yeah. then in the seven years after that, I've, I, and I, and I still by, en- by no means have painted a lot in comparison to some in that time. But I've got multiple armies to show for it. And actually, arguably, certainly with the corn, they look better than that initial army because I've learned different techniques and painted them in different ways. Yeah, yeah. I think second edition has a lot to answer for when it comes to painting. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone was going for that blended finish. Mm. Um, there we go. But, but it so is a, really important to say, like that's not to say that we either don't appreciate uh, oh, no, absolutely the other not. ways of uh, doing things. And, no. and those are fantastic. And if that's what people choose to do, wonderful. I think the message here is for those guys listening that are looking at piles and piles of, of plastic us. sprues yeah. and are feeling a bit, but like, you know, I think it, daily I see a post on Facebook on one of the groups or another saying, how do you guys motivate? How do you get over this pile of sprues? You know, mm. people face that, especially with the massive amount of releases that are just bombing out all the time. And and I, yeah, it's that it's a real struggle to keep. It up is, with, and I just it? think yeah. it's just really important that uh, there's nothing quite as good for the soul as finishing off a unit of models. <laughs> okay, no, I, I, <laughs> but, I, uh... but it's like you know the sense of achievement is really yeah, important I mean, and 
you it can is, have yeah, that set, you is. know, in anything in life. It's really important. Um, but you, and you can get that sense when you, f- through, through the hobby, through completing something that you, you've invested time and effort into. I think it's really good for you. That's true. As a person. Yeah. I do. I think I agree. Finishing something is, is refreshing, isn't yeah. it? So, um, I think, I hope the guys find that useful. I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a painting guide. I'm working on a painting guide for my night hall. It's going to be our first painting guide. I hope, um, people find that useful. It should be done possibly by the time that this is finished and out with you. Um, but that's just a little, you know, an answer to two questions that we've been getting a lot recently, which is how do you paint so quickly? And, um, and how do you do transfers? I think so if anyone go. has anything to add, please do as well. Like we, yeah, we're yeah, always absolutely. on this journey learning and we, we, you know, Ben and I do a podcast because we love chatting to each other. And if it helps inspire anyone in the hobby, w- wonderful. Uh, we certainly don't do it in order to spread our expertise. <laughs> so we're, we're more no, than happy no. to take feedback suggestions or actually, no, you're wrong. You're doing it that way and you could do it this way. Just be polite. <laughs> Please. All right, guys. Well, um, we shall um, head on over now to the Galaxy of War. Welcome back. We are in the grim, very tiny darkness of the far future. And why is it tiny, Ben? Oh, well, the board space is much is much smaller this time. Oh, no, no, no. You're talking about a shrunk scale, a new scale. Took me a while to catch on. Oh, yeah, we're in 8mm. Well, that's my <laughs> exciting intro to the segment blown out of the water, isn't it? By it a is. volcano Sorry. cannon! <laughs> there, I've added some excitement in. Yes, I am talking about I am talking about Titanicus, although you can be forgiven to thinking I was talking about the the smaller scale games of Kill Team. So um let's have a chat about Kill Team to start with. Yeah? Yeah, why not? We watched the video. Um so Ben and I haven't really followed Kill Team a great deal, uh mainly because we've well I've been painting my deck in, as you've already heard, um, and uh Ben's been engaged in getting stuff painted up for his AOS and also um, it's more... just overwhelming. Well, it's just crazy, isn't it? So there's a lot of stuff coming out at the moment. If you are somebody that's into the the whole range of Games Workshop's um offer, then you are going to be quite overwhelmed at the moment. And it's fantastic. It's great to see a lot of stuff, but uh, certainly I can't do it all. And Titanicus is the thing that's really catching my eye. So um, not we don't know loads about Kill Team. We know a few snippets that have come out from the community. We have. Just watched um, just before recording the the how to play, um, which mm. I thought was very well presented. I loved their studio, particularly the chainsaw up in the corner. Very useful if you catch your opponent doing something they shouldn't. Cut off I'm very thing. impressed with um, with those how to play videos. I mean, Becca Scott did a fantastic job with um, the Age of Sigma one, and uh, that chap did a great job with that one. They're um, very good, aren't they? They're very clear, yes. I think. Yeah, they are. There's a very clear idea of what they're trying to do, which is to get across in 10 minutes whether or not I'm interested in that game. Yeah. Um, you're not going to learn the rules from it. Um, we well, could do in some ways, but, um, 
you'd get a structure, wouldn't you? You'd get a you'd good structure book, and understanding. You'd get an outline, um, particularly if you felt a little overwhelmed looking at the the rules initially. Um, mm. You get an outline. So, interestingly, for those well, for those that aren't sure about Kill Team and what it entails, then I would suggest you go to the forty k website, um, and then there's a Kill Team option on there. Uh, you can find that through the community site. And on there, there's a how to play. And it's really worth watching because it just points out the main differences. Um, well, y- you will notice the main differences, I should say. It doesn't point them out. Um, if you play 40k, you'll recognize a lot of it. Um, and other bits are totally different. So activation is alternating. So yes. you do a model and com- and then they do a model and then you do a model and so on and so forth. Um I really like that kind of that kind of mechanic in a skirmish game. Yeah, and it's interesting as well because it's in each phase. So you you maintain the initiative um throughout the the actual battle round. Mm. But you don't activate a model and do everything with it and then move on to the next one. You you activate a model and do what's relevant to that phase, be that yes, movement yeah. Shooting, psychic, fight phase, um, or morale phase. So interesting that there's no charge phase, unlike in Warhammer 40k. So if you do decide you're going into combat, you're going into combat. You're not going to be shooting at people. Um, and also, obviously, that's limiting because you aren't getting to move and then charge. It's a straight out charge. It's two dice. Um which advance, happens in the movement phase. Yeah, which happens in yeah. the movement phase. So you you haven't got that on top of My favourite new part of the movement phase, and I don't I forgot what it's called, but it's a sort of steady yourself. So, you know, settling down, getting a firing position so that you get bonuses in your shooting phase. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, yeah, cool. I like that a lot. So that looked good. I think um I mean at the moment obviously they are Using kill teams made out of existing kits, um, that you you know literally it looks like they've taken a unit from an army that's in the display and, it. and using it. Um, you, yeah, there is some examples appearing. Oh, excuse me, one moment, listeners. My telephone is ringing. So was that your um was that your call to conscription, Dan? Yeah, it was in just uh, it was just corn ringing up with this week's quota for skulls. <laughs> so, uh, but he's uh, I've put him on hold. I've said you got to wait because we're recording a podcast. So he was fine with that. <laughs> you know, we have that relationship, me and the blood god. It's good. Um, <laughs> so we were talking about yeah. So at the moment. It's just existing kits. So it'll be really interesting, I think, to see as they begin to bring out maybe upgrade kits or kits. Because it's they're saying it's going to be fully supported. They've not specifically said what that's going to look like. But it'd be great to see add-ons or new bits and pieces uh, yeah, so that you can I mean, do a bit more to your models um, to personalise them. Um, you've got those specialisms, haven't they? They said there was 12. Specialisms like sniper and demolition love to have like special kits to upgrade, like guardsmen to demolitionists and stuff. That would be flipping brilliant. 
I can, I love the idea of a sniper space wolf who would clearly just beat the enemy over the head with the end of the sniper rifle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see that because I think that will make the game its own more of its own thing, um, which would be good. And obviously, it has given rise to some fantastic terrain. Oh my goodness! I mean, you tuned yeah. in and listened to the. I did, yeah, the stitch and bitch with um, uh, Peachy and uh, Duncan and Kerry and uh, his name I forgot, the chap who designed it, but incredibly knowledgeable dude with some really nice to hear his thoughts on what went into designing the whole structure. Um, And what's cool is him and Dave Andrews sound like they were the lead and uh, he, he made the claim that he'd put together more of the Sector Imperialis kits than anybody else as during his previous jobs. And I think he did say what job he did, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if that was true, actually. Um, and of course, Dave Andrews made the original kits. So um, with them together, they were able to say what they would like to see in the new ones, what they'd improved on in the old ones. So this is, um, um, so, so this is, you're talking about the improvements over the old cities of death terrain. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and one of the things I the problem with this is going to sound really sad, but the, my take the thing that surprised me the most was just how big they are. The new buildings are massive; mm. like the sections look like they're twice the size of the old sections. Oh, so when I first saw them, I was like, "Oh, they've just replaced the sections," but it's not like that at all. They're, I mean, you could very quickly put together a substantially sized building. Um. Without without any trouble at all. One of the things that was he's talking about at the moment, or they were talking about, is that they've designed the Sector Imperialis to go with the Mechanicum one, and um, they're looking at expansions in the future. So he was talking about hab- hab- habitation blocks and stuff like that, because he's imagined all the stuff that they've built at the moment is a place where people come to go to work, not where they live. So... Oh, I'd love to see some like habitation buildings and some stairs. Yes, if anyone's listening, please design some internal stairs um, to bolt into structures because they just don't make sense without them. Yeah, they do need some stairs. That would be good. Well, I've but I've yeah, seen a was... few different ways of painting it as well. So one of the things I was having a little bit of a a moment about recently was the amount of detail on stuff. So. Some of the scenery is just mad. All the pipes and broken radiators and all that. And I'm like, I don't want to paint that. Um, mm. It's terrain. I want to dry brush it and coat it in coffee. Um, do you remember doing that? I do. That was yep. a while ago, wasn't it? That must have been before washes. It was before, before washes. washes. Yeah, old... Ben and I were doing a city fight board for Games Workshop Plymouth. And um, we washed the building with coffee, didn't we? He did. Yeah, it works very well. It did catchy. work well, and it, and it gave a nice aroma for a while, which was which was lovely. Um, a bit like my Athelian um, camo shade, which smells like herbs because I've been using it on my scatter, which is herbs. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there we go, and um, I've completely lost my train of oh painting. Yes, so I've seen some that are painted where every detail is picked out, and some others which are are more sort of one colour with certain details picked out in, in silver. And what I would say is they both look great. So I'm pleased about that because I, 
you know, I want it to look good, but I, I don't want to spend forever painting that stuff. Well, remember that it, it's like we've talked about with army painting, is that you can get things to a standard that is usable, base coat it, dry brush it, wash it, leave it, get it on the table and get using it, and then if you've got a spare half an hour, pick it up, paint the radiator. Yeah, that's true. Paint the window. Um, they had some good tips on painting um, stained glass windows with overhead projector pens, um, which I thought was a really cool little oh, section. A good idea, um, isn't it? Um, yeah, but I think let's just pulling it back to um, Kill Team. I can see it being very, very popular. They've spent a lot of time. The focus at the moment in Games Workshop seems to be trying to get things balanced. Um, and you can see in the units that they've chosen to be in the kill team. So some, some armies have got like loads of units in the kill teams and some haven't. Um, they've got some choices that aren't there at all. And I think. You mean there's no knights? To... Yeah. They, they, they've been trying to balance it out so that, you know, you're playing as fair a game as possible and it comes across very much as a sort, a much easier to pick up game. But you can get your box with your scenery in that is a sector that literally comes as a box and your kill team and play it very quickly. And um, I've always thought one of the drawbacks of 40k, and I know Games Workshop have had this thought right back when they streamlined 2nd edition down to 3rd edition, that you need an afternoon sometimes to play a a game. Um... Or a whole evening to play a single game, and if it, if your stuff isn't to hand, it can take a long time. You know, you meet up with your mate, have a chat, get your beverages in. Oh my goodness! It takes out. me ages. It can be a really. And <laughs> I'm lucky. I've got playing, a setup to play it in. I don't. But like sometimes, remember what Dan and Tom used to come around semi regularly. And in the end, we had to say, right, you've got to eat before you come. Because otherwise, by the time we've ordered food, and then it's arrived, and then we've eaten it, and we're not starting playing until goodness knows when. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, because it's a social event, though, as well, I suppose. It is. And that's a very important part of the hobby. Um, so actually, within that social event, the game itself needs to be quicker. <laughs> well, yeah. And, that, and that's perhaps where Kill Team comes into it. because, And, and kind of almost in contrast... What I'm excited about Kill Team 2, um, what we're talking about in the hobby section is that you, you've only got, you know, for some Kill Teams are three models. Yeah. And that's not, you can really lavish attention on three models and add character and give them a backstory. Um, the biggest ones are 20 models, which are just, imagine being the three person Kill Team coming up against 20. <laughs> I like the idea of doing things like having, um, you know, a rampaging chaos knight armager or something and then trying to take it out with your kill team. I love that idea. Yeah, I mean, the, you can make up that. I'm what, sure. what I was excited to see in that video is that it talked about narrative stuff as well. So it's not just a competitive that, you know, they've gone for the full three ways to play again, which is really cool. Um, what I'd like to see, and I don't know if they have or haven't, is is make it so it, it can easily sort of streamline into a campaign. So um, you can have an over over, over overall campaign of forty k, but you could use um, the kill teams for certain parts of it that 
I guess that's a separate product, actually, like a, a, a Firestorm kind of thing for 40k. That would That'd be, be nice. flipping awesome, wouldn't it? It would, wouldn't it? Yeah, I love it. Because you could have key strategic things that give bonuses to your core army, but if your enemy goes off with their kill team and blows them up, that'd be brilliant. Yeah, it would. The problem is, right, before we started recording, you asked me what I thought of kill team. And I, I said... Did. As- um, that for me, again, and I, and I often say this, is anything that provides another offer where people that either don't currently collect and play um, Games Workshop games or war games will be able to enter into the hobby or someone that's currently already in the hobby but maybe is either completely lapsed or is a bit on a low burn because they can't really see anything that excites them or they don't want to face paint a whole big army, gets them re-engaged, playing games and enjoying their hobby and generating income so that Games Workshop can make more models is a good thing. But it wasn't really for me because I wanted Titanicus. Then what happened is I've watched a video about it, we're chatting about it, and now I'm like, oh my goodness, I need this. <laughs> Damn it, yeah. Ben! The scenery is a big selling point, I think, as well. Just for the box set. I mean, if you've seen the box set laid out, there is a there's a lot in it, a lot in it. Yeah, but the um, other thing is, I could do a kill team of like little like ultramarines or something. Mm. Oh, it would be so good. Or a proper a death watch real. kill team. Oh. oh, death watch kill team. Goodness me. Right, quick, we need to talk about... Do you have anything further to add on Kill Team, dude? Because I need to talk about little battling robots, because otherwise... I don't I don't have much more... No, I don't have anything. I'm excited by it. Um, I'm not sure anyone's like, particularly the, interested if you do, but I thought I'd give you the chance. I mean, I'm quite excited by the fact that each of the different <laughs> units comes with scenery. Are you just not going to comment now? You're, just, you're like, I'm going to say something stupid. You're just going to ignore me. <laughs> Um, yeah, like, uh, yes, basically. Um, like the shipping containers and that kind of stuff. I think that's a neat way of building up your collection. Oh, do you know what, Beace? A mission where there were five or six shipping containers and the objective. And the enemy force was, like, coming in. But the other kill team was hidden in the ship in one of the shipping containers. But it didn't, you didn't know which one. And they burst out. And actually, what I would do is have another shipping container, a spare one, painted black with a red stripe going down the side and up. And then when my kill team came out, I'd put it down and play the A-team music. <laughs> it would be amazing. <laughs> da, 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 da. Oh, it'd be fantastic. And there'd be flying tanks and all sorts. Oh, it'd be brilliant. So anyway, um, when are we pre-ordering kill team? No. That that um, um, Imperial Guard special character with the big heavy bolter would make a great Mister T, wouldn't he? Oh, he would. He would because <laughs> he's got the mohawk and everything. Oh, right on on, on to big battling robots, dude. Because and I could eat Snickers bars because Mister T advertises those. He does battling robots. Get some nuts, fool! <laughs> <laughs> right. So we got to go to the Forge World Open Day. Um, up at Warhammer World, which was flipping epic anyway, um, I have to say. Uh, Chris, who came with us, had never been before, and that was just fantastic to see him running around, getting excited. 
It's always nice watching someone in the in the exhibit who's never been before. Do you know what was really good? I I usually don't spend a lot of time looking at the cabinets that aren't the display things, so just the the studio armies. But because yeah. Chris hadn't been, he would spend a lot of time looking at them, and we were just what going around together and talking about each one and and different things we liked or weren't keen on, or you know, ideas we had for cool armies. A problem was like obviously every cabinet, you just end up thinking, "Ooh, Caradron Overlords was the one for me." I came away thinking, "Oh, I really want them." Um, <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't take much to convince you about Caradron Overlords. No, it's because I love them, mate. I think they're a brilliant idea, but this isn't the Mortal Realms anyway. But that's what on earth was I even talking about? Oh, we went to Warhammer World. So (laughs) (laughs) that's ridiculous today. Sorry, uh, everyone. So we were at Warhammer World and we went for the open day. And actually, we were there for a good couple of hours before we even went through to look at what was there for the open day. Um, just looking around, looking at some of the awesome new tables they've got. Necromunda tables um, looking brilliant. And we went into the open day and they had Titanicus. And I'm sure if you're interested in any way um, with Titanicus, you'll have seen by now that there was a, an unboxing video where they just gave the box to a member of the public and um, they opened it and videoed it on their phone. And uh, that and the, the box set of just the rules. Um, and Tony Cottrell was sat at a table and you, we were looking at sprues Um they had bought a 40k scale Warhound Titan to troll their um, customers with because people keep asking about the Warhound and it's not been seen yet. Um, but they had, <laughs> I thought that was quite funny. They had Reaver Titans and Warlord Titans there in all sorts of colours. So yeah, it was it, there was a lot to see for Titanicus. For me, it's got to the point now though where I'm like, Right. Just give us the box. That's it. I mean, to, to be honest, yeah. we've seen pretty much all of that at Warhammer Fest. Fest. And now we just want yeah. the box. And there's still no word on the price, although it will be in White Dwarf, which is only a couple of weeks away. You Was it you who had a chat with um, Phil about the boards and using polystyrene to go in them? I did, yeah. So, yeah, do you want to talk about that now? Yeah, yeah, because I... So, yeah. so they were so, showing off the big four by four board. Sorry, two by two sculpted scenery tiles, which I have been on and off about getting. But one of the things that really bothers me is that they they can bow. And Ben, you yeah, had a chat middle, about yeah. how to prevent that, didn't you? Yeah. So I, I, they were a fest, um, but there was things on them, and the ones that you could grab and properly interact with were were behind behind the tables at fest. But I think. What was nice about the ones that they had there is they were the unpainted ones mm-hmm. and um and there wasn't as many people around, so you could really get up and have a look at them. And there is some great, great details on there, and it was nice to like a crashed aircraft and blown up Lehman Rust tanks and um barricades and little buildings and pillboxes and fortifications. They're all built into the tile, ready to go. And um I was chatting to him about, um, you know, what the whole concept, and they reckon four by four table is the optimum size for Titan, and um, they wanted it because because they've understood a lot of them were uh, played uh, historical war before and swapped scales, and how tough it is to 
swap scales because you've got to make your own make it all from scratch effectively um but you know they wanted to be able to provide a product both in the box by the modular scenery um which echoes you know the titanicus box sets at the start when you know the very first one but also a board where you could literally just you could you can buy the board buy the main box set and you are completely ready to go um which i thought was a really cool idea he did sort of he didn't know the price for sure, but he was thinking about 50 quid a tile, which I didn't think was bad, actually. I would be surprised uh, if it was not more than that, if I'm honest. Yeah. Just based on what the other ones cost. But I would be happy. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't... They didn't. One of the things that they never seem to be able to talk about properly or know is the price of things, which is a bit of a shame, really. But, um, yes, bowing in the middle. And he had two there, one that he'd done it to and one that he hadn't. And effectively, what he'd got is a one centimetre or ten mil thick blue polystyrene sheet and double sided tape. Yep. Uh, and um and and double sided taped it to the underneath of the board and it was perfect. Mm. Absolutely perfect. No bow in the middle. And you didn't get that spring when you pressed on it. because um, the problem with the forge rod ones compared to the realm of battle ones is the realm of battle boards have got a lattice of plastic across the whole of the back. Yeah. Um which stop this from happening, but the forgeord ones don't. So that's that's their solution is to get this polystyrene sheet, which isn't that expensive really. Um, it's, a, it's a neat little addition, and uh, that we we do know a couple of sources to get that kind of stuff, which we'll put on the show notes. Because um, blue plast blue polystyrene is difficult to get hold of sometimes if you don't know where you're looking for it. Yeah, I really liked them. What was cool there is they had a train. Yeah. Um, a resin train, um, done in the eight mil scale. And when I asked if that was going to be available, not currently, it's not. Um, but effectively, there's a whole load of stuff that they've built just for themselves, um, and cast up that if, if the product does well, will end up getting released. So that's exciting. So go out and buy <laughs> it when it's out. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, that's the boards. It was nice to see the sprues with the sort of templates and um, yes, measuring gauges and little objectives and defense points um, up close. And that they all actually come in the box set, which is just the rules only box set. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which was nice to see. I mean, it's one of the things that's worth saying about the big mega box set is there's nothing in it that isn't in the other box sets. There's no product in there that you can only get in there yeah absolutely. which means if you if you were looking at it and and as, as far as i've been told it's a limited run as well so they're only going to do the big box set for a limited number of of you know boxes and i don't think that you're going to well, we'll be able to see but i don't think you'd, you'd be saving that much money on it it is just a way of getting everything all at once well it's interesting you uh, should say that because andy hall keeps saying it's the best value box set ever, like starter box set. Because yeah, he also keeps saying it's the most expensive. Yes, I mean I've heard that what they were saying at Fest was that roughly you'd probably be getting a Warlord Titan for free, for free, and that they were compare they were regularly comparing the Warlord Titan. Um, I think perhaps an, a bit excessively to an Imperial Knight because it isn't quite as yeah. big as an Imperial Knight. Um, 
We'll see. I mean, it's all conjecture, isn't it? But White Dwarf will be out in a minute. Um, hmm. Yeah. So if you if you're a bit overwhelmed by the concept of of dropping whatever hideous price that's going to be um, all at once, you can pick up the others separately. Is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Ben, Ben, um, and- Ben, Ben, the base, and I are have discussed depending on the relative price points, getting the Grandmaster box and then one box of the rules, and then each having a Titan yeah. out of it to save yeah. um, a little, a few pennies to put towards terrain. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. Because we really want, I really, really, really want cool terrain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want the boards, don't you? Yeah, I do. And actually, the other thing that the the polystyrene idea has opened up to me is Zone Mortalis. Because the fact that that bows mm. drives me flipping mental when you're spending that much money on it. Um, but now, if I can stop that happening, because the thing for Zone Metallis that I that excites me is I think it's a lot more usable than I originally realised. So, like mm. when it first came out, it was specifically for for forty k for thirty k like the battles that on spaceships. Um, yeah, but I. I can also, well, it's obviously the tiles that are used in the Necromunda box game are based on it. Yeah. Um, so I really like those. I, I like the idea of playing Necromunda in it. Um, and the fact that it's more 2D than 3D doesn't actually bother me particularly. Um, cause I think visually it's very cool. And also Kill Team would fit really well in it. Um, yeah, it would, and, yeah. Yeah. and there are some open sections as well so there's nothing to stop you having like maybe oh my goodness I just get excited just thinking about this stuff if you had the zone mortalis around sort of the edges and then a more open area in the middle which could essentially be your engineorium or what have you and then have like big reactors and stuff like that that'd be ace would it'd be very cool yeah you can have Zone Mortalis around the outside, and then the, the middle could be like your Engineerium, and then you could get the Sector Mechanicus stuff to give some height. Yeah. And have like the plasma reactors and blow it off. Flipping Nora. Ah! <laughs> there's so much cool stuff to do. <gasps> and there's those thermo generator things now. <laughs> I think I've even got some of them. I have. I got two of them, and all the pipes and. Oh, dear. Well, there we go. Dan's worked out a way to use his own Botalis. So, anyway, yeah. Um, I'm excited. You could play um, <laughs> You could play Titanicus across his own Botalis in a weird kind of way. If you say it was a forge world. Yeah, and have like a Titan hangar bay. Yeah. That'd be cool. So, um, should we... Have- <gasps> what you could do... Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> right, I'm going to hold back that excitement. I'm going to hold back that excitement. It's, it's. I'm thinking around the idea of having like a battle set in the Zone Mortalis of like troops trying to get to a Titan. You could even use it as the inside of an Imperator Titan. Oh, yeah. And you could remortgage your house to do it. <laughs> this is silly. Should we go to the mortal realm? <laughs> I think we should. We need to get out of here. This galaxy of war is too exciting. All right, guys. We'll see you on the other side. Dude, you're so good.
Hi guys, and welcome to the Mortal Realms, mighty listeners. It's the Soul Wars still. I'm having a whale of a time with Sigma. I absolutely are, loving it. Yeah, I'm going to record really? that, keep that for posterity. Yeah. You yeah, saying that? Definitely. Well, it's just, there's so much But there's more. no high elves, Ben. Well, I know. I'll get over that though. Um, There's just so much more detail now, dude. There's so much more depth. Like what you mean after like the game's been out for three years? Yeah, I know, but there's the there's the bits about it that it felt when I first saw it, it felt really superficial. But now there's those little bits. There's those little bits that are starting to make it feel like a story, like a like a reality, like a, a properly thought through universe. Yeah, like um. You know, just little little bits as you're reading through the books where you're like, oh, that's really cool. Oh, that's really sinister. Like, let's just, just take an example, because I think it's useful. But the, the Sacrosanct Chamber, I was a bit like, oh, as much as that video was really funny, Sigma, you can't just solve all your problems by opening another chamber. The hell I can't. That was funny, but there was a little part of my mind that was like, oh, it's just another chamber. What, you know, where does this fit in? But now I've got the book and I'm reading about what their job was and why they're, you know, what they're po- the reason for their existence. It's really, really cool. It adds that because we've always known that the reforging process was a bit dodgy. And, um, yeah. And, and Sigma knew that and he was aware of that when he sent them out that it wasn't perfected. Um, but he, it needed to happen and he was willing to take that risk. And largely, although people lose a little bit of their memory, the reforging process, for the most of the part, reading the books is okay. Yeah. You know, it, it, it works. But that's because he created the sacrosanct chamber to oversee the process. Yeah. To keep, you know, to keep it sanctified, to make sure that the souls are cleansed and, um, you know, support them through the reforging process. But there's there's lovely little bits of background, like sometimes they're just too broken or they've just too messed up that that you know they have they have to be sort of put to rest but because their soul is in a sense been made immortal they can't just dissipate and if he lets chaos get hold of it or um nagash get hold of it then they can be turned into something horrific so they they kind of put them in these statues in the in the avenue of saints and it talks about people walking through there, and if they listen carefully, they can almost hear the like the the screams of the souls trapped in these statues. But no one's ever dared to go to Sigma and go, "What's that about?" Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, you don't question what, me. What they've or done, or what they continue to do, is add add a add a consequence to being a stormcast. Yes, from the beginning, where there would seemingly no consequence, and therefore. It was a little bit like playing a computer game where you just regenerate anyway, so it doesn't matter. You can just throw yourself at something. Yeah. Um, but now, what with the loss of personality um, and memory, and also this kind of, will my soul be reforged or will I be stuck forever in a statue? Which remind me a little bit of um, Ghostbusters and their sort of chamber where they put all the ghosts. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Especially with that woman with the Hoover, the, yeah. the soul chap, soul trap chamber thing. One of the things it does talk about is how the the actual Stormcast aren't fully informed about the process, though. The, mm. Well, you wouldn't you be, know, would you? Because they aren't. They don't want you know, to worry them too much. Well, <laughs> it's not so much that. It's, you've got to think where the souls came from originally. 
There wasn't some dude where Sigmar turned up and went, excuse me, I'm considering taking your soul. These are the options. Please read all the small print. He just goes, boom, and takes them. Well, yeah, that's that's a new thing as well, isn't it, that they've sort of added in over the last couple of years. You mentioned it before about how it takes it when they're, sometimes takes it when they're alive. Um, but one of the things I like about Sigmar is that he's very human. Like, it talks about him being devastated by this whole process and, like, the fact that it's not perfect. It really upsets him. Mm. Um, but it, it's something that he's willing to do to drive back the evil because there is no other option. And I like that. But then I would like that because I'm a suck, so. A god with a conscience. <laughs> but, yeah, really loving it. Um, it's kind of got me excited about doing my, my order army again. Um, cause I've got so much Warhammer Fantasy Battle that was never painted, never done. Um, and now I'm looking at going back and doing all the box sets. I, I do not really want to go back and paint 20 high elf spearmen and them not be usable nowadays. Yeah. I'm quite happy for them to not be perfect but i'm not with my second edition 40k box for example i were going to paint them as a second edition 40k army um apart from maybe the orcs i might do a little bit more modern stuff on but the fantasy ones particularly i'm going to do very much in the style of that second edition but for the, the fourth edition the you know, high elf versus goblin army i'm going to be painting the high elves so that they they are in my current style um on round basis so i can use them because for me it kind of it's all very symbolic I really struggled getting an army done for Warhammer Fantasy Battle. I've I've done three now for for Age of Sigma. Mm. You know that's that's a, that says everything. I've never had a painted fantasy army, and now I have three because it's excited me that much. Yeah, and um and I want you know if, if it was me, if I had all those models painted, I would seriously be considering going back and rebasing them anyway. So yeah. that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do them on round bases because I want to be able to use them. But I've been thinking about how to tie them all together. So kit bashing the human kits and the Bretonian kits, the Empire kits all together. Cause I wanted to make a city and I've described this before where you know people would come to to try and escape the Age of Chaos. As it happens, reading the books, the Age of Chaos is seven centuries long, so not an easy thing to survive as a city. But what I was thinking more of is that as the light sorted that there were places that survived, wasn't it? A little bit. Yeah, I'm sure. So we were talking about this again before we recorded. And um, anyone that thinks we only ever rec- talk when we're recording is uh, is shocked at this point because we've mentioned it a few times that we had it, we actually talk before we record. But very frustratingly, we, we basically record the podcast before we record the podcast. Yeah, well, it almost implies that we plan what we're doing, but um, that's a <laughs> that's a crazy and and dark rumor. So yeah, what we were saying was it's. It's quite clever in a way because when we first met Sigmar and the Stormcast, it looked like all of the realms everywhere was all crushed and under the foot of chaos because that's actually how it would have appeared to Sigmar and his Stormcast going out for the first time. But as the story has progressed and the Stormcast have have gone to places and kicked butt and captured gates, they found little enclaves or pockets um, of resistance, you know, the, the Fire Slayers and the Caradrons and the Sylvaneth are all really good examples of that. And I like that. I like that sort of progression. I think it's and cool. 
In that hunt for Nagash, there's that city of humans that give the blood tithe to those vampires that saved them, saved them from chaos, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and they've been doing it for centuries. And it turns out that the vampires are proper degenerates because they've been starved of blood for so long. They were, that was quite a cool little bit. But anyway, the idea being is that this, this enclave survived in a very small way somehow. And then, um, when the forces of Sigma came back, they were kind of recovered or, the, you know, their, their morale was boosted and they started to sort of fight back themselves a little bit and created a little pocket. And then people started to flock to them and, um, and then a leader emerged and it became like a, a state in its own right. And, th- and then my, um, the uh, Stormcast came at a pivotal moment when it looked like they were about to get crushed and, 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 and saved them and then created a city out of that. Um, and they've joined, you know, they work together very closely now. But what I'd like to do is have it so that the army is almost a bit like an army of refugees. So I want to have, um, a war, cre- war queen. Which, um, I've decided is going to use the Carl Franz model and then do some very subtle work to convert the rider. So it's got, if anyone's got an idea for a plastic female head with long flowing hair that would work, um, I'm all ears. I'm thinking it, it could, elf or human, I'm not really particularly fussed and, um, have her as like leading like a chamber of knights who form like the core of the city state, um, who, I can then make up of Bretonian knights and Reichland knights on foot and all sorts of different knights with the, the same colour scheme, you know, symbolising they've come from different places, but then joined, like her, joined, joined her kind of order. Um, and they form like the core guard. And then around them, different sorts of styles of foot troops, all wearing her colours or the, the, sti- the state's colours, but from different sort of places where they're like, They've ended up as regiments within the guard of the place, and it allows you to sort of have a sort of a diversity of design styles. So from Empire State troops to Bretonian men at arms, that kind of stuff, without um, you know, without compromising on the overall feel of it. That was my idea, um, and I'm getting preposterously excited about that. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Lots of painting for that though. Yeah, loads, and shoes, and shoes. Yes, you got a model on the shoes. Yes, I do. On the state troops. Yep. <laughs> the state troops will take a lot of work because I, I just don't like them. I don't. I personally preferred the the version before. I did absolutely love the version before. And actually, although this obviously is not necessarily the answer for you because you're looking at the models you've got and, and making them fit, um, foundry miniatures. Ones. Oh yeah, yeah. M- make some. What were they called? Is it Landschneck? Oh, is uh, pronunciation shocking? But anyway, they do some models that really fit that theme, that look, including mm-hmm. pikemen, which they should always have had in the Empire Army. But anyway, I reminisce. Yeah, that yeah, world should. is dead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm actually really excited that there will be at some point a a human Age of Sigma release. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll really start to see some cool stuff. I think that will really, for me, tie it down. Yeah, like throw the cobwebs off of all the old stuff and have these. Yeah, love it. It'll really be great about that. Um, what we were going to do now, and I think because sometimes it's it's <laughs> as much as we get excited about it, and you know we do a bit of painting and modelling, and we know a bit about the rules enough to play the game. What we're really not 
is able to go down into yet. I mean, hopefully in the future we'll be able to spend the time reading the books to really get to the grips of the meta and that. But we do know a guy who does. Um, and we would like to have a chat with him about the New Age of Sigma and his thoughts. Yeah, it's nice to get another perspective. It is. Unfortunately, it's going to be Dan Wasley's. Um, but that, <laughs> these things happen. No, no. I've wanted to get Dan... Dan kindly joined us when we went up to Warhammer Fest. I've wanted to get Dan to talk about Age of Sigma for some time. Um, Dan has always, 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 always played Wood Elves or Wanderers. Um, so he's in the Wanderers group. Uh, so yeah, I'm uh, going to be recording the interview and dropping it in right here seamlessly. Okay, listeners. So we have seamlessly arrived at the interview with the mighty Dan Mosley. Hello, Dan. Hello. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> Dan has been... Uh, needing a segment of his own for some time so it's nice to have him here <laughs> <laughs> so um i've cracked open the genuine diet coke uh which is is quite a an achievement right now but it had to be done um and dan is gonna kindly talk us through kind of where he started out with fantasy um way way back in the day as it were and um journey into his uh his journey into age of sigmar and what he thinks about the latest release and some of the stuff that's out there being played at the moment. So, um, Dan, where did you, when did you actually start? Because it was a little bit, I think when I met you, you were already playing Warhammer. I don't but that was a long time ago. I don't know if I can remember a time that we weren't playing Warhammer together, to be honest, but I, re- I did start in the year 2000, I think, around about. Yeah, that at, would have been similar. At Ravening Hordes. And that was at the time when I think my first box might have been a Wood Elf Archer and a High Elf Spearman box combined. They used to come together. <laughs> right. And I had the idea that I wanted to collect High Elves, but then a f- mutual friend of ours, Wayne, wanted to get rid of his Wood Elves. And then I just fell in love and with And then it began. Yeah, and then it began. <laughs> and 18 years later, I'm still collecting and painting Blade Guard. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, not quite the same models, but not far off. No, not far but off. But you are sat proudly in your Wanderers t-shirt. Yeah, I am. I am a very proud Wanderer. There are, there's quite a good few of us on the Facebook group now, actually. We're, we're just coming, creeping up to 800 members. Yeah, so. I noticed the other day. That's good. So yeah, so I've been playing all that time. So in that time, I played End of Fifth. And then into 6th, 7th and 8th edition. Yeah. Wood Elves all the way through. And I had a bit of a stint at Lizard Men. Yes. And then Age of Sigma dropped. And we all got very excited. And then I got less excited and put all my models on eBay. <laughs> and then I got more excited to do a sort of mixed army. Because at that point in Age of Sigma, you could just collect and take anything you wanted. There wasn't any fixed faction or alliance. I seem to remember our first attempt at Age of Sigmar in my house, um, just set up and I got some high hours and it was before, so this was like a year before General's Handbook. There was, all there was was War Scrolls and the four pages yeah. and they'd put it out early. So we didn't have the box set or anything. And I got my high hours and you got your, your wood hours. It was just ridiculous. It just, <laughs> I lost. Um, <laughs> but it was absurd. I remember it being absurd. Um, and then I put the picture up the other day of us at half past midnight. Yeah. With the box set. 
there from the beginning. But yeah, like you, sorry, you were saying that you, um, you, you built that big mixed army. Yeah, so I had Bretonians, which turned out to be a bad move. <laughs> Allied with ogres painted in the same heraldry, which turned out to be a bad move. And a giant. <laughs> and then I wanted some squigs, but I didn't want them to look like squigs. Do you remember I bought yeah. little pigs? You bought pigs, didn't and you? And I one had... of them had like wheels and stuff. That was ridiculous. Yeah, and then I had like Bretonian like peasants yeah. prodding the pigs along to be the squigs <laughs> in my big like. At least you, you, you totally engaged with this <laughs> idea that you could have anything you wanted at the time. And I did that in reaction to there not being like a core rule book. And I could just do whatever I wanted. I could turn up, I could have fun. And it seemed to me like that was a really fun army. And then we shifted towards General's Handbook, which is kind of what I had wanted all along. But it annoyed me that it had come at a time, even though it was all I ever wanted, it it came at a time where I'd sold all my competitive armies and built something absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) And then it was at that point that I decided that I would go back to Wood Elves, or now Wanderers, and basically... Rebought the army that I'd put on eBay some time before. <laughs> well, at least you hadn't burnt it. Yeah, at least I hadn't, but I mean, what a thing to do, eh? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I've been playing Wanderers all through the first General's Handbook and now into the second General's Handbook. Um, and I do want to sort of vary what I play a bit. I have been painting a few Star Lizards. Yeah. I painted my first. Very nice unit, as well. My first unit of Skinks. And I'm looking to do um, a Thunderquake star host, which is all of the monsters. Yeah. And sneak a croak in there because he's been ripping up. <laughs> um, he can cast his... So before there was a rule of one, wasn't there? Where he could only cast a spell one time. But now he can cast it three times. And he's been ripping up the scene lately. I know um, Dan from AOS Shorts been allying in with his Sylvaneth and stuff. And keeping an eye on stuff like that. So that's my aim with with them, but in the meantime, I'm not taking my eye off my Wanderers. They're things I still want to do with my Wanderers. Um, and they're the only sort of completed army that I have, so I'll still play with them. Yeah, they look nice though, and you've gone with, you've built yourself some objectives, you've gone with the cool leaf scatter on the bases. I've gone pretty much as far as you can go, I think. Yeah, just <laughs> eked it out every time. It's like, oh, I'll just put a bit more on the base. It was nice though, it was really satisfying when I went to Throne of Skulls and I got a few um, nominations for Best Army because in our hobby group we've got obviously we've got Ben the Base who's entering Golden Demon and like compared to, <laughs> compared to him I sort of bring my models and put them on the table next to his and I just feel like, oh well at least I know how to play the game. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, but you've got a painted army which we spoke about loads of times on here is, is awesome um, and it... What I like is like because you've got that consistent basing scheme all the way across, even though some of the units are different colours, that's nice because it makes it clear what's going on, which is important when you're playing the game for the game. Mm-hmm. But the consistent basing scheme pulls it all together. Thank you. So it is good. Actually, Dryka's not painted yet, is she? She's sort of, well, halfway. You've been a bit put off since the Celestine Prime boshed her. Mate, that Celestine Prime. I've seen Celestine Primes fall down to like stiff breezes before. <laughs> and that guy just stood up to the combined shooting of all of my army and a named character in combat who can re-roll hits. Who shall survive the <laughs> entire shooting of your army, Dan? Only the faithful. <laughs> Only the faithful. <laughs> so 
Okay, so obviously AOS 2's been with us for, um, what, a couple of months now, is it? I lose track. So what, for you, has been the biggest changes over AOS 1? Magic, and much more than I thought it would. Mm. So initially, I looked at magic, and I looked at the spells, and I thought, okay, so they've nerfed the two sort of signature spells that everybody can take, which I thought was fine. Um, in my Wanderer's Army, I did have a little bit of a buff going on with Mystic Shield and Sisters of the Thorn and the Frost Phoenix, where he can buff his save every time a spell is cast, and that spell buffs it anyway, so he becomes sort of like 2+. plus. And then the Sisters of the Thorn mean that you can bounce back mortal wounds on a 6 or more to your save, and then when that's increased, that can sort of go up to sort of 4+, plus or 3+, plus even, depending on what you've done. But the thing is, although that little combination was nice for me, that spell, Mystic Shield, was just a 1+. plus. Like, no one would cast their own spells. Mm. So I thought that was really nice, that it opened up magic to be used, and then they brought in the new spells, the endless spells that sort of deal mortal wounds and look really great on the table. I can remember at Warhammer Fest, I was having a conversation with some of the guys who are entering Throne of Skulls and just talking about how thematic Age of Sigmar 2 is going to be, mm. with the spells being represented as models, and then every faction having their own scenery pieces. Like It just it would look visually a much better game. Mm. I didn't really realise the implications for the rules of how insane magic is going to get. So I've been looking at, um, on my Twitter feed, I follow Ginger Buddha, who is a guy who is a tournament organiser in America. Mm -hmm. And he has just hosted Midwest Meltdown. Right. And in that tournament, there was um, some death armies. And Nagash, his signature spell, Hand of Dust. Yeah, I saw is any pick a unit within three inches in the gash, and then you put a dice in one hand concealed and hold up both hands like as fists, and your opponent picks a hand, and if they pick the empty hand, the model within three inches that you've chosen is slain outright. <laughs> oh my goodness. If you can imagine that, coupled with the umbral spell portal, to increase its range to almost anywhere on the table... <laughs> Relian, who I also follow on Twitter, tweeted yesterday, Here is my hand of dust count for the event. Game 1, a king on a terrorgeist. <laughs> Game 2, Frostlord on Stonehorn. Game 3, Great Unclean One. Game 4, Nagash. <laughs> game 5, Nagash. <laughs> oh my goodness. Is it a one-use-per-game thing? No, I don't think it is. Right, okay. Because it's Mind just, you, it's you just, would just go for the biggest. It's just within three inches of that's him, so, insane. So it does, so it is kind of limited. So you would think, okay, so that just means in combat, I won't put my biggest thing against the gash. I'll try and shoot him or spell him or spam him units that can sort of like your um, corn demons that can do mortal wounds. And then if he does that spell, he's only going to have just one model. Mm -hmm. But now with the spell portal, <laughs> he is insane, yeah. and it hasn't been FAQ'd as of yet. That I saw today in the FAQs. Yeah, of course, yeah. I, I forgot to mention that we were recording this and the FAQs have come out today. Um, the other thing is Croak yeah. in, in his magic. So, sat up on a Bellwind Vortex and they've FAQ'd it that he can be sat up on a Bellwind Vortex. And then again, with a spell portal, his spell is, I think, models within 3d6 range all take d3 mortal wounds. 
and more if you're a demon or chaos. Yeah. And which uh, I think is outrageous. Personally. Of course, he was just picking on picking on the the little guy, the little guy, <laughs> <laughs> the massive bloodthirst that's leading over him. <laughs> that actually were the ones that killed him in the old world. It was corn. Yeah, corn demons killed him in the old world. So he can still cast his spell um, three times in a phase, but now the FAQ for the Umbral Spell Portal is that if you cast a spell through it, then it's done. You just cast it that one time through there. So the other times that he tries to cast it, it won't go through the portal. Not to say there's not ways to buff it. The Astralith Bearer can add eight inches to that. And the Bellwind Vortex can add more range to that. Again, I forget exactly how many. Is it six now? It might be. It's... So you can add four, so you can make it 24 inch range then. Yeah. Um, which is still nasty, but it has been, and it's a little bit more difficult to cast. But initially, when the edition came out, and I started looking at what Magic had been doing in the tournaments, I was just like, okay, wow, this yeah. is insane. So there are some really cheeky combos. I think you'll see that a bit more with the FAQs, like what you just said, changing the wording to massively change. So I was looking today, and the Slaughter Incarnate ability for the Aspiring Deathbringer has changed from giving plus one attack to a unit within eight to giving plus one attack to a unit wholly within ten. And I was like, dang! (laughs) Because, you know, I think it's quite thematic to have a massive T-shape going on across the board of all my models. That's something I really like about AOS too, though. That's something that they obviously really considered is how do we make it, again, more thematic, like I was saying, so we don't have just... We used to call it your conga line, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> Where you just have one model, like after another, just like in a conga line going up the battlefield, which isn't very cornate, or in your case, I should say, isn't very cornish. Oh, you wanted <laughs> oh, to throw that in, didn't you? You couldn't believe I hadn't, uh, I hadn't said that. <laughs> so yeah, so it wasn't very cornish of you um, no. to do it to play that way. And they've obviously <laughs> thought about it with the way that um, now if you break your coherency, half your units die, which is... Another thing that's come out, I guess, in the meta is Star Drakes obviously weren't bent enough because <laughs> now they, you know, when they do their reign of stars, they pick the models that die. Oh, so they can cut units in half. Yeah, so if you're daisy chaining and you're playing against one of them, they're going to take, I'll take that, that model in the middle and you choose which half of your unit is going to die. Right, yeah. So there are a few things, but I think that's good for the game, to be honest. Mm. Um I don't want to see daisy chains. I want to see mass melees, and I want to see. I want the game. I wanted the game tightened up and a bit slicker. One of the things in one of the events that I went to last year is there was a guy on an objective, and I went in and attacked him. And the combo that we talked about earlier with my frost phoenix meant that I caused mortal wounds back to him in the combat phase. In under general's handbook one, it was ruled that you didn't have to attack. Mm-hmm. So we just both stayed there, but he had more models. And he held the objective, um, which was exactly the right thing for him to do in the game. Yeah. But it just didn't feel like we were playing a game. It felt like we just ran our models up to each other. Yeah. And and then we stayed there for however many turns. Um, So I think the game is slicker. I think things die quicker, which is always, things always die quickly in Age of Sigma. That's, you know, that's normal. And sort of to compensate for that, now you can just, if stuff dies, you just bring on more demons. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah just summon everything back. So what do you think of the summoning mechanic? 
I really like it. Really like it. Um, the thing about Age of Sigma that I love compared to playing all those different editions of fantasy is how dynamic and changeable games are mm-hmm. and how much you have to look for and prepare for. And people say things like, oh, the double turn is broken. But I don't think that it is. I think you just have to prepare and you have to think and you have to be thinking two turns ahead. And then also you have to be thinking what's in range of your units that can summon units and where can they potentially go. And you have to just think about board control a lot more, which is why in my Wanderers list I sort of I chucked in some Aether Wings and I put in some Shackles and a spell to try and sort of get a little bit that more That was funny control. when we played, wasn't it? Because you put them in the middle and then basically the, the game happened in this big circle around the <laughs> Shackles so that nobody went near them. Yeah, which um, it was interesting to see that actually because I didn't really know how they would work, but it was funny what a deterrent they are because you just do not want to get bogged down. No. Um. Well, no, you don't want to be caught out of you know not not able to do what you want to do, especially with an elite. Because I was using Stormcast in that example. You know, if one unit is undone by the shackles, that's a massive chunk of the army. Oh, well, if your retributors are at half movement, was that bring me down to movement two? Yeah. Yeah, then it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, though, because you had the... What, did you have the paladins, are they called? Yeah, with the long sticks. Yeah, and they've got, like, a re- reach 20 anyway. And they're so stupid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they just biff you yeah, from the other side yeah, of the table. Yeah. In matter. the eye. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so that's happened, which I've really been pleased about. Um, the FAQ has been good. There's been a few things ironed out. Goblins have been, or grots, I should say, have been ironed out. Oh, yeah. So we were talking about this beforehand, weren't we? So what was it they were able to do? So the grot shaman's ability is that any wound of a six or more on a unit does double damage. Right. But now there's no limit to how many times you can use a command ability on a unit. So if you rocked up with 20 grots and the... And a goblin shaman. I was just trying to do the, the calculations, and you had thirty. So say you had thirty grots and a goblin shaman, and you had thirty-three command points left, which is you can do. I think if you just take the minimum, you would do if you if you wounded with all of your attacks, and they all did double damage. So thirty times two, then to the power of thirty-three command points, you would do. Two hundred and fifty-seven billion six hundred and ninety-eight million thirty-seven thousand seven hundred and sixty wounds worth right. of damage right. <laughs> from your unit of thirty. I see. That's that's crazy. It's only going to kill one thing. I think it's going to be um, very dead. Yeah, the guy from the I forget his name now from the Pro Painter podcast. Who you talk about a lot on this podcast, Matt. Matt. He posted his grot army, which was a grot, and he was just like. Potential damage output. How yeah. many billion? <laughs> <laughs> so that has been changed now so that what it does, it doesn't do double damage. It does a mortal wound and it can only, it specifies that it can only be used on one unit. It'd be a proper time. grot bomb because, uh, it, although obviously, you know, I, I, it's not going to work that way, but Matt was working on grots in like Caradon. Skyships and things. I oh, love the idea cool. of one just floating over, just throwing one grot down, and people being like, "What?" <laughs> well, you could do it though. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you roll for fanatics actually, but you could potentially just roll out one fanatic. 
and then just destroy a whole unit. <laughs> <laughs> that's ridiculous. But that's been FAQ'd now. So there was some ridiculous stuff, but there's always stuff that kind of sneaks past. The thing is, it doesn't matter how much you playtest something. It, you know, if you have a group of 30 playtesters, they'll, they'll find X number of things. Then you go boom and you put it out to thousands of people and they're going to find more things, aren't they? There are still, there are still little sort of cheeky tricks that you can do that are left behind. I think there's, there's one with Marathi that you can do still. Where her ability is that something a unit can shoot again in the in the hero phase, so it essentially can kind of like attack twice. But if you if you have a unit of the oh, the name escapes me, the snake ladies with the bows, Malusi, I think. Yeah, there there are two types. Yeah, if you have if you have those, and then you take like seven command points spare. You could shoot with them eight times in the first turn, whereas in a game, they would only shoot five times if they lasted the way to the end, which they probably wouldn't. They'd probably be looking at four rounds of shooting in a game. So you've maxed, you know, they're, they're, they're potentially twice as strong as they ought to be in turn one before you start. <laughs> but, but then you do have to sign, kind of reduce points and you have to work out, will they kill X amount of points worth of command points that you spent? Although, I try not to think of Age of Sigmar in that way. I still can't help myself because in fantasy it was always, is your unit worth its points? Whereas now it's not points killed, it's points captured. Yes. So can it kill enough stuff worth of objectives, I suppose? That's quite a cool difference, actually. I sometimes think about is how... Because when we played Warhammer Fantasy, we almost always just lined up and played. Mm. Whereas the objectives part, I mean, what is there now? There's 20 battle plans, I think, for match play at the moment. There's, um, it, there's six in the book. Six and then, in the previous book. Then there's, there's, yeah, there's six from the previous book, six new ones, six in the core book for 18, and then there's two in the line sorcery. Mm. So, and they're all like objectives and moving around. I think that makes a lot of difference for the, the dynamic thing. But then it would have been hard to, to do that in fantasy because, you like you wouldn't have been able to manoeuvre. That's not to say we didn't love playing eighth edition. Although we will never forget me having a bit of a rant about how your army was just shooty and ridiculous. And then we counted it up, and my high elf army had more bows than the <laughs> army, your army that I was ranting about. <laughs> and I had to go and like calm down. <laughs> if you are going to take all love and sea guard. They look cool though, and the other spearmen were like they had boxing gloves on, and I couldn't. How many times do I have to listen to you to say, "I just like the model" when it's the brand new, new, filthiest thing that they have brought out, and you just happen to enjoy the look, the aesthetic of the army? Well, it's not going to stop. <laughs> so, the new bloodthirster of corn that you're building, um, nothing to do with the commandability. Nothing, nothing to do with being able to run and charge. Just like the model? I actually, it's my least favourite of the model. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the commandability. Oh, you heard it here first. I'm pleased you finally admitted. <laughs> however many times you played, I was like, oh, Dan's fit. Well, to be fair, when you painted the Sullivan and the Prime, it is a lovely model. Yeah, he's, he's nice, that model. Very nice. Cool. So... Well, with that in mind, I mean, me and you could uh, could talk Warhammer um, all night, really. Um, but uh, twenty three minutes in, that's probably um, 
as in-depth as we need to get. So is there anything else that you want to add or any any key pieces of advice you'd like to give the many, many budding generals who clearly listen to the two Ps for their tactical analysis? <laughs> I don't have loads of advice, really, if I'm honest. I was speaking to a chap on the on the Wanderers group the other day about um, my approach to list building. And he said that my, the way he builds lists is he might look at some blogs or he might read some stuff and kind of get confused because there's contrasting ideas. Whereas I kind of have like a twofold approach where the first one is I'm almost doing a shopping list where I'll be like, do I have mortal wound output? Yeah, I picked up my mortal wound output. And do I have something that's like a bit maneuverable? Yeah, I've got something like that. Do I have something with rend? Yeah. Do I have something with a bit of a save? Yeah. Okay, right. So I kind of just pick through. But I think the most important thing to do is just pick something that you like and that you enjoy. And then if it doesn't perform how you would have hoped, it's just tweak it along the way. Maybe just substitute something in and out because as long as the core of it is what you enjoy, then you'll always, you'll always be happy. I mean, I say that as a Wanderers player. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, you've had some long drought periods in the past and even like now they're not. They're not one of the armies which is receiving a huge amount of support at the moment. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. But I think if you if you love what you love your hobby and you love your army and you persevere, you can still perform. I mean, I mean, I came third in that tournament that we went to, mm-hmm. which I don't think many people would have expected. But I know my army inside out, and I love them and I play with them all the time. Yeah, and I have tweaked them and stuck with them. I think that helps. So I think, yeah, just stick with something that you really enjoy as a hobbyist and then just, if it doesn't perform exactly as you want, just have a think about where you can sort of just tweak it and look at allies and things like that. And I think also set your expectations right. So as I'm playing Wanderers, I'm happy with third. If I was playing Stormcast, would I have been happy with third? Mm. Maybe not. That's a good one. That's a good point. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Um, anyone that wants to hear more awesome Dan thoughts, Wanderers group on Facebook, which we've shouted out before. Uh, Nine Inch Charge on Twitter. Nine Inch Charge on Twitter. There you go. Um, which actually did happen in a recent game. <laughs> I did actually make a Nine Inch Charge yeah. once. Excellent. Cool. Well, hopefully you enjoyed that, guys. And now, back to the Mortal Realms. And there we go. Seamless. So, um, <laughs> thanks to Dan, uh, for, for chatting to me. Um, I've, uh, no doubt had to ply him with pizza by this point. Um, the, the nice thing about chatting, I mean, I've known Dan for years and years and years and years, and I've played Warhammer Fantasy with Dan for years and years and years and, years, and still do, which is really ace. So, um, he's my regular opponent, um, for Age of Sigma. And um, it's always it's always great to get his thoughts. So thanks for that. Uh, so with that, Ben, is that the mortal realms? Are we are we heading forward into the community? Oh, I did want to I did want to spend a little bit talking about how nice the models were to put together in the new set uh, and and the malign uh, malign point the malign sorcery. So did I speak about me putting together the malign sorcery? I didn't know you had put together the malign sorcery, so I don't think you have. Uh, so the malign sorcery box let's start with that there are some absolutely stunning massive models in that box that are an absolute pleasure to put together um the the purple sun is like one of those 3d puzzles 
where you know you, you get the 3D puzzles, like jigsaw puzzles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like that. It's insane. <laughs> like it's a comp- <laughs> so different, but it comes together really nicely. Um, bit of a pain. A lot a bit of, of people challenge. have um, noted that the, the gaps are quite extreme. Nah. Nah. Honestly, right, okay. no, no, don't. I don't think so. Not at all. You need to really push it. You need to be very... It, it's one of those things where if you get it wrong at the start, it'll be buggered for the whole thing. It needs to oh. be... You really need to get all the seams in a ram... Because you create a frame, and then you and then you build the thing onto the frame. And if you haven't put the piece right fully down onto the frame... Then you'll you'll be off for you know, uh, you you'll be struggling from the start. I probably will tidy up some of the seams with some liquid green stuff because you can't get in and file it because there's the texture on it. Um, but the texture means that you can very easily just mask it by sort of stippling on green stuff. It work would look fine. I'm really think overall it came together nicely, and I'll put some photographs up to to show that I'm not just saying stuff. (laughs) But um. Yeah, they were nice. The, but the actual box set itself, the, 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 particularly the Night Haunt went together so well. Really, really nice. Like, it's really easy. The mold lines weren't particularly hard to find. Um, were, you know, they were hidden a lot of the time. There is a few things that I, you know, I thought I'd mention. Uh, I stole this from, um, Pro Painted that on the Night Haunt cloth, you know, you, you've got the seam where you put them together. Even if you file it flat, you can still see a tiny little like seam where it was. So I painted it with green stuff, still because it's a tiny little seam. So what um what I've been doing is painting it with a couple of coats of hard coat, and it gets rid of it, per- it perfectly. It's really good, really nice way of getting rid of that, and it works on um, the shoulder pads of the Stormcast too. I heard them talking about that. Actually, I was going to try that. Just to show that, you know, I actually do listen. <laughs> um, they, they have the seam down the middle of the shoulder pads and all the easy build stormcast, which is a bit of a pain, it's got to be said. Um, particularly the join on the right shoulder pad through the, mm. through, through Gal, Gal Mraz, That's a, that is really a bit of a, I was very pleased to find that or be told that the actual Stormcast models have separate shoulder pads like Space Marines. <laughs> that made yes. me very happy. Um, but, uh, yeah, they all went together really, really nicely. It, it literally took me half the time to put that box set together as it did um, Dark Imperium. So I just thought I'd mention that. Excellent. That's good. Cool. Now we'll go on to the community. So we should see you there. Hail to the community. We are here. We are hailing. I'm just waving at the microphone now, which makes no sense, but there we go. <laughs> okay, Ben. So this is where uh, Ben and I like to talk a bit about stuff we've seen in the community that's um, inspired us or things we've been to in the community. So the first thing that has massively inspired me um, is repairing the damage I did to my own collection which is when I savagely attacked the cool little bag that comes in the mortal in the malign sorcery set. <laughs> um, and having heard my tale of woe, um, 
the the mighty Mark Clough has uh, got in contact and um, is sending me his that is undamaged. So that is amazing. So he gets a shout out for being awesome. Yeah, that's really nice of him. So I, I'm probably, well, it is. It is really nice of him. I mean, it is ridiculous that I'm like, I need this bag. Um, but he has come to my aid anyway. So thank you very much, buddy. That is awesome. It is. Well, we went to Geek Fest. That was awesome. Uh, we've already spoken that a little bit about that. That was very good. Yeah, that was very nice indeed. Um, and thank you to them for having us. My favourite bit about Geek Fest, dude, was this really awesome guy um, whose name escapes me, which is terrible, but not unusual, um, who came up and he was like, he must have been about, I think he was in his early 50s, and he was like, he was dressed as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yes, he was. And he was, looked yeah. flipping amazing. Yeah. He looked really good. And then, and he was like, this is the first time I've ever dressed up. And it's amazing. And I love it. And how excited he was. It was so good. And then he was like, I'm going to go and get my cape. And off he went. Or not cape, cloak, cloak. And yeah. he came back with his cloak on and he looked even better. And he was just the nicest dude. And I, I was just chuffed that, you know, no matter what you do for your day job, being able to step out of that and step into somewhere like Geekfest, which is really welcoming, really fun, and just do what what makes you happy. Yeah, I think that's ace. That's so good, so good. Yeah, it was um, really so yeah. good, wasn't it? I mean, we made very it was. Welcome. It was brilliant. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I I I was just blown away by the location and the number of people. There was so much going on, and next year I'd really like to do both days. I really would. It, it was really good. Hmm. Um, and set in like the old mining museum as well. I and mean, I was fascinated by that. I was wandering around looking at all that stuff. You know, different people came up and spoke to us, which was nice. And um, got a chance to try out uh, a board game about Jane Austen, yes. which I really liked. And I've played with, with Harriet a few times as well since, um, which is very good. Although it's probably more into the wilds, this, but I throw it in here anyway. Um it's made by Warmaker Games, and um, but Harriet's put in a rule because it, 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 basically you've got to make matches. So one player goes right. My character is going to propose to your character. Do you accept or not? But we've got an, a, an unofficial rule that if if Harriet's character proposes to mine and and her character is called Harriet, I better not decline <laughs> under any circumstance, whether I'd win the game or not. It is not worth it. <laughs> Hmm. That's our unofficial rule. So yeah, Geek Fest, very good, very good. Should we talk about? Um, should we talk about our shout outs to awesome hobbyists that we'd like to do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I we've we've got two that we'd like to do. Um, first one is a chap called Toki Paints, T O K I Paints. Um, he's on Instagram, as it you know tends to be the case, you know. At the moment, I find Instagram is a really good way of getting to know painters. Um, his yeah. his handle is um, at t o k i dot p a i n t s Toki Paints, and he does a thirteen thirty k thirteenth company army. Um, and I suppose it's because I'm a space wolf player that this it really caught my attention. But his space wolves are stunning. Absolutely stunning. Um, they're almost all converted. He's done a true scale 30k army using the Primaris box sets. Uh, he's got Wolfen in there using the Primaris box. It's just stunning. Absolutely love it. And his facial tattoos, um, whopping great axes converted. 
if I I will be very closely following um, or stealing from his style when I do my uh, 30k army, I think. Although I won't be doing true, true scale models using the Primaris Marines. That's cool. His stuff is love. I mean, what typically happens, because Ben um, is a bit more proactive than I am, is we come together and then he says, have you seen this person? Have you seen this person? And then I go and look and I'm just like, oh my goodness. So I saw some of this stuff um, just earlier and it was excellent. Really good. I loved it. it was really is- nice. There's a... There's a guy there with a double-handed axe yeah. uh, charging, sort of space wolf. Really good. And he's really based on uh, Ferris Manus's body, um, the Primarch. So it's ace. <laughs> um, I, 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 this whole podcast is based on our conversations. So, you know, this whole section literally comes out of, dude, have you seen this painter? And dude, have you seen this event coming up? And we've just recorded it. And that's where it comes from, because we... we if we think it's interesting for each other, chances are it's interesting for everyone else. Or hopefully, anyway. <laughs> anyway, the second one, yeah, yeah. Um, this guy came out of... Um, I caught him because he was given by a company, that uh, a, a shop that he works closely with, one of the new knights, Castellan. And uh, it was done in 24 hours. And I was absolutely stunned by it. It's... Um, he uses a lot of um, excellent airbrushing and weathering techniques to create an overall effect, which is it is is appallingly good for the time. It's wonderful. That... It's really, really nice. And and also, if you scroll through his stuff and look at some of the other stuff he's done, yeah, yeah. I uh, he his was also one of the night haunts that I stole to show people, um, of you know what. A style that I was going, was thinking of doing. So, yeah, really, really nice. And um, he is uh, Thomas Coltow or Coltow uh, Berenston, and it is his handle at Coltow Paintings. It's at C O L T A U Painting, all one word. Excellent, excellent painter. So those two guys, um, and also Martin Payne is the last one who we've shouted out on Instagram yesterday actually which would be last thursday uh and he is a chap who's local to plymouth paints very very nice large-scale models is what he's got on instagram so knights and titans um and his work is very very nice indeed so um his handle if i could just bring him up quickly it's a bit difficult to have all these things at your fingertips when you're using just a phone his handle <laughs> is at Wacker1664. I don't know whether the 1664 is a, is a reference to the founding date of the Royal Marine Commandos or is it Cronenberg beer? But Cronenberg beer. Both on the same date. And I, I don't believe that there's a, there's a link between those two. <laughs> I have heard that the Royal Marine Commandos get crates of it sent to them on their anniversary. Um, That's cool. Because they share the same founding date. But he's Wacker, W-A-C-C-A, 1664. Um, So well worth a shot. He's got some really nice nights on there at the moment. So I'm going to jump in now because I've got this couple that I want to shout out. So particularly, um, just want to draw attention really to a couple of the really awesome things that have uh, popped up on our um, 2 P's podcast hobby forum group on Facebook. Yeah. So the first guy whose stuff I am flipping loving is um, Jonathan Hammett, I think it's pronounced. I'm sorry, John, if that's not correct. But 
your core graph, mate, is excellent. He's got he's put like a bloodletter head on it. Yeah, it's very um, good, isn't it? And some yeah. some other horns. Um, and it just it just looks great because I think you've said before the core graph's a bit weird and it's hard to work out where its head is. It's hard to work out what's going on in general. <laughs> well, yes, that is true. So that looks ace, and I really like the fact he's done it in a fleshy tone as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, it's different, and and I was like, it's just a bit different, and um, yeah, it's great to see that. His really fleshy tone to inspired me to do mine in the fleshy tone, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really impressed by his. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I really like that. Um, and the other. <laughs> Other one I have to shout out, post that I have to shout out. My favourite one for a while was from Adam. So Adam Rush put, <laughs> ah, it happened. I caught up. When's the next episode due? As other podcasts I listen to, don't tell me when to get refreshments. Yes. And then he's put a hashtag dying of thirst. <laughs> we haven't actually that told people to get refreshments today. No, I've just talked about the fact that I've got grapes. Yeah. Flipping heck. Most of them could be passed out by now. <laughs> oh, no. Right. Pause and get the refreshments, guys. Yeah, and then we'll head into the calendar. Just before you go, while you're going there, if you haven't already, jump on your phone and join the, the Two-Piece Hobby Podcast Hobby Forum because um, I'd like you to, basically. Um, <laughs> but also, there's some really cool stuff shared on there and, and the idea is just to generate a platform where people can put things um, hopefully to inspire themselves by getting some cool comments, um, but also to inspire others by pointing out stuff they do. Um, really grateful. You know, I know there's loads of things, loads of places on Facebook you can put your pictures, um, but we're really looking to create, you know, a very safe environment where you can stick up your stuff, get some cool comments and hopefully inspire some others. So yeah. please, um, please head on there and I'll pick a couple more for, for next week, next time we record to, to shout out as well. But but for now, go and get those refreshments and we'll find the calendar and, and bring it up. This <laughs> might go in and get a refreshments break. Because <laughs> I don't want to add another segment. So, right. <laughs> so um, let's start to with... To the calendar. This, it's like an interval. This weekend just gone, we will have had Attack by the Denizens Wargaming Club, which is very cool. Um, and let's go over the next two weeks. So, big thanks to Curtain Games and Terror Games um, for getting involved with the calendar and sticking their stuff up. It makes my life a lot easier, so thank you very much for that. Um, so next weekend, or this weekend, because if you're listening to the podcast, it'll be Wednesday. Um, on the 28th is the Throne of Skulls Open at Warhammer World, um, which is a casual gaming event. Um, <laughs> do you know what? I'm sorry, I have to cut in. No, you do. don't have to cut yeah. in, do you? That's so unlike you. It, well, I just have to say how silly it because I was just looking at the calendar. I was like, Ben, Ben, you've made a mistake. Attack is this weekend, but of course, this will be released after Attack. Yes, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you, I don't do the calendar. <laughs> well, it's easy to get confused, isn't it? I, I don't know what day it is half the time. Um, so at Wincanton, uh, in the Memorial Hall, uh, there's a 24 hour board game marathon, which these board game marathons and painting marathons, God, hats off to people for getting involved in them because, um, they're often for charity. They make a great deal of money and, um, you do find actually that you, you are quite productive 
in the past, the ones I've done. Um, so mm. the X-Wing Store Championship 2018 for Curtain Games is on Saturday the 28th. Um, they won cracking X-Wing tournaments. In fact, they held the regional X-Wing tournament. So um, if you're an X-Wing fan, strongly recommend, if there's any tickets left, getting involved with that. Um, on the Sunday at Terra Games is um, the Five Colour Challenge, which I really like the sound of. It's a painting painting challenge. Um, love limited palette painting. So, um, Terra, if you're listening to this, please send us pictures of the uh, of the winners or entrants for that. Really would love to see that. Well, we can do a link because they're going to credit the artists and put pictures up on their Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, good. So, um, that that's good. Um... On the Friday the 3rd, as always it seems to be, uh, there's Gaslands running at Curtain Games, and uh, Dan, I need to send you the picture of that Gaslands car with the corn symbol on the front. That was um, that was wicked. Um, that's on Friday. <laughs> and um, Peaceful Negotiations is on Saturday the f- uh, Sunday the 4th and Saturday the 5th. Uh, that's at Bristol Independent Gaming, and um, that's a 40k tournament. Just pull out some more. Uh, Middle Earth Battle Company's campaign at Warhammer World is also on the 4th and 5th, which sounds really cool. They were talking about that at um, at Forge World Open Day. Um, what they've got planned for that, there's going to be a whole... They said a, a book of scenarios that they will have made for, especially for the event, so it will be stuff that we've no one's ever played before. Um, and if you're into Middle Earth oh. stuff, that's going to be really cool. Um, and... Then Last Man Standing Paintathon. It's that time of year, isn't it? Just for crazy Last Man Standing stuff at, uh, at Terra Games. Um, so if you if you fancy, you know, giving yourself a migraine, then uh, then go and get involved in that. What on earth would happen if you did twenty four hours of painting, mate? You'd um, you you'd be done. All your stuff, all finished. I was saying to Joe, I reckon if I had two months off of work on sabbatical, I'd get I'd get caught up. I'd be very <laughs> tempted to do that. <laughs> I don't think I could oh. convince, convince anyone to let me do that, but there we go. So there, there you are, that's the next couple of weeks. Um, guys, if you have a event, we say this every time, we mean it. Um, if Even if you're a Games Workshop store and think that no one would be interested in publishing your events because you're the big big company and you can do it yourself, rubbish. We all we all want to know. Um, we'll get our stuff up there, get your stuff up there. So we've got a calendar that's useful for everybody um, because it's, it's sometimes... Just prepare yourselves, though, for the hordes that will then descend upon your event if you advertise it via the peas. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, um... Is there anything else we want to say about the community at the moment? Um, it's good. No, I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything else to say coming up. No, I think that's everything for this week. Uh, so, um, shall we go into those wild places? Of Middle Earth into Mirkwood. Hey, almighty listeners, and welcome to Mugwood, <laughs> where there's spiders and guys being pulled by rabbits <laughs> or hares. Yes. 
Is he, does that happen a in the book? A turns into a bear. I don't know. I, I can't remember it being in the book. But actually, that was a pretty cool addition to the film. I'll let them out for <laughs> They can stick the giant worm things up there. They actually... Um, what happened is they were recording The Hobbit next to the studio that was remaking June. Exactly and what worms happened. escaped and got into the into the into the wrong film. That's pretty. Much, that's the only explanation. Either that, or the guy who wrote it had a tapeworm, and it was on his mind at the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, we are going to talk about Lord of the Rings um, or the Middle Earth strategy battle game. So we've already said we went to the Forge World Open Day, and the first stand, as you went in on the left, caused lots of excitement because inside was the new boxed game, uh, Pelennor Fields, for the Middle-Earth Strategy Battle Game, which was really cool to see. Yeah. So... It was, yeah. Very much. Uh, we, we got a really good chat. It's great talking to Adam and the guys in the Middle-Earth team because they're really clearly passionate about Middle-Earth. Um, they care greatly about it, as only, you know, enthusiasts can, and getting it out there. And they've done loads. They've done wonders to to get what was a game that, pretty much looked like it was dead back and um, being supported, which is great. Um, and they would say if they were, were listening that, you know, it's as much about us as hobbyists buying the stuff and, and the excitement that drives that as well. So um, really cool. If you're part of that community or thinking about being part of that community, thank you and, and let's crack on. Um, in the box, uh, what they've gone for, is they've got you've got a brand new Theoden model uh, on horseback and foot in plastic with um is very nice. So Which you've is got very nice. it with or without a helmet. So it's worth saying that's the only new model in the box set. Um and a big big sort of reason for that was because the Middle Earth team is still only small uh, and the revenue it brings in for the business is still only small. And so it was about getting a boxed game onto shelves so there was something in front of people that might see it and think oh i'll give that a go um but keeping the production cost of that low at this stage and and therefore using miniatures that were all, or, or molds uh and miniatures that were already in place um so some may be a little bit disappointed yeah, yeah. because you're not seeing a raft of new miniatures. I think it's just important to bear in mind it's all about stepping stones and the journey as it, it ever was with Lord of the Rings. Um, and um, mm. and this is just part on that path. And it's really exciting. And the book is, is wonderful. Looks really nice. We weren't actually allowed to look in the book. Um, Lord of the Rings is tied up, or Middle Earth Strategy Battle Game is tied up in all sorts of... Uh, bits and bobs around the licensing but you've got the core book and there's i think there's two there's a there's a lord of the rings and there's a hobbit book coming out that will have all the profiles for all the models in um so with those three books you'd have everything um rules wise i think that's right unless you recall something different yeah that's right yeah but um, the, the the army list ones are separate from the box set. So in the box set, you will get the rule book and the, the and the miniatures and all the other gubbins and there's a lot in there. We're playing the game. A lot of miniatures. Um, I think there is a lot in on there. The, yeah, I'm just trying to remember. The evil side is something like 24 Moran and orcs. There's a troll. Well, I'll just I know, um, I'm testing I'll my head, my brain. So. 
There's a ring wraith on the fell beast. There is the ring, the the flying ring wraith. Yeah, you get the you get the troll. At least twenty four Maranalorks. There's a load of them, and the flying ring wraith on the evil. And then you get uh, Rohan on foot, uh, mounted Rohan, an army of the dead. Um, yeah, and Theoden for the good side. I couldn't actually say price, um, but looking likely to be around eighty five pound. Yeah, he said it's a, a, around around the current sort of box set offerings. Um, yeah, on the cheaper side, didn't he? But that was about about what you could say. I don't think he was referring particularly to the Titanicus box set because <laughs> it's not. But um, yeah, I mean the. The models-wise, yeah, it's easy to get disappointed, but really the only old stuff in there is the Rohan riders. Um, the Troll's new and a great model. The Ringwraith is fairly newish and a great model. Um, and the Army of the Dead were great when they came out, so you know, they haven't lost any... They ha- they've aged well. I mean... Are people going to want to buy the box set if they've got those models, or... You know, not interested in them. Possibly not, but it's exactly what you said it was. It's for having something on the shelf that if you want to get into Lord of the Rings, for those of us that have sold our collections or those of us that have never played it, it's there. You can pick it up and you can get going straight away. Um, and you can, uh, you can play with everything that's in the box. And it's a big, it's a lot in there. Like you said, there is a lot in there. Barely fit on the shelf. Yep. Interestingly, for Lord of the Rings as a development, so Adam has um, recently accepted a role in the Warhammer community team. Um, I don't know what that role is, but he's... um, And obviously, (laughs) I say this as if I'm the bringer of this news. This has been on the the web. Uh, uh, So he's going to be handing over the baton, and actually they're asking for applications now uh, for people, someone to head up the Middle-Earth team. So they are replacing his role. So it's not a case of they've uh, they're scaling back on that. And I think he's leaving, having put Middle Earth in a really good place. That's really sad, actually. I'm quite sad about that. I think it is. It is a shame, um, but it, it is what it is. I mean, well, in some ways, he'll it, take his love of nice, yeah, of exactly, it and onto, onto the, the community team. Yeah, having him on the community team, spreading the joy for Lord of the Rings, that would be quite useful for the for the you know for the system in itself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What's really cool is, um, and I think is a real sign of the times, is he put that announcement into the um, the Great British Hobbit League. Yeah. Which is a Facebook page. Yeah. And I think that is just fantastic because it really shows um, that they feel, that they really feel like the community, it's all, all, they're a community together, I suppose. Yeah, well, the Great British Hobbit League is responsible for keeping the system alive. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, however you look at it. Yeah. So, yeah. um... I think it's exciting times to Lord of the Rings. I'm really excited by it. And, um... There's some things that I'd like to bring up that he spoke about. So, first thing is that, um... Battle Companies is, was future-proofed. So, it is completely compatible... With um, with the current system, with the new system, in fact, there is some was some sneak peeks in there as to what was going to come out. So, the, I don't think they fully intended to be in there, like the use of the word Urukai Bow, which uh, um, will be a new thing. 
Um, when it comes to the game system itself, it's mainly tweaks. There's no massive changes. There are tweaks um, that have some have big implications on the game, but others not so much. They just add to the making more sense. But there's a few things that I really liked that you talked about. Probably my favourite thing was that they're now the push is to have themed armies. So you will not get penalised for having a, a soup army, but you will get significant bonuses if you, for example, take a Rohan army. You will get a charge bonus when you're mounted on a horse, which is ridiculous. <laughs> it's plus one strength, I think, isn't yeah. it? So on the charge. The, it's it's going to be definitely worth getting themed armies. And that is so cool, I think. That's really... I love it, mate. That was the thing. Of all the things he said, that was the thing I really, really liked. Mm. Um, because I, I've, I really want to do a Rohan army, and I really want to do a Mordor army. Um, so this box set is for you. <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting that. The, o- the only thing with that is it depends, because if someone else within our sort of group would rather do Rohan, I'm fine with that. I'll do Minas Tirith, because Minas Tirith are cool as well. Um, love the White City. It's it's a and there's no get there's there's all those new models coming out for them as well. Yeah, I was going to say you've got the knights. Well, yeah, so you've got the new um the guy that guards the wall, haven't you? Yeah, with a big whopping great um, sword. Oh, and there's yeah, and there's him. That's the gatehouse guy. Yeah, with the whopping great sword. And then if you want to do fiefdoms, the new knights on foot, Dolomroth knights on foot, are flipping amazing. Um. Available very soon. Couple of rules I like. So apparently, um, there's been some some work done to magic to try and uh, lessen its impact because it was getting a bit ridiculous. Uh, so one of the things was if you roll, I think it's if you roll a six when trying to uh, resist a power with a point of will, you not only resist the power but you retain the point of will. Yeah. Um, I think there's some other things as well, but that's the one I particularly remember. Yeah, I was um, um, really excited by that because um, I've, I've always found playing a good army that you get walloped by magic. Yeah, especially if someone's taken all, all nine of the ring race, then you're just in a mess. And Sauron, and Saruman, and a couple of orc <laughs> shamans. It just gets ridiculous. Um, yeah. So I suppose the only other thing to do in, into the wilds, Dan, is um. Uh, Chris has written a lovely little review um, of the box set, the Tracarius box set, which um, is we're going to pop on our website. So if you know you're interested in what we were talking about um, last week about that, then we'll have that up on. He the web- even uses the correct terminology, which is time path. <laughs> um, I don't even know what I called it, but all sorts of things. But it wasn't that. Um, so yeah, it is the time path. Chris is on Instagram as well as obvious player, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He is. Um, and, um, yeah, so he's kindly done that. So we'll get that up, uh, do the wizardry to make that appear. Ace. I think that's about us, isn't it? I think it is. I think that's, I think we're, I think we're all wound up. We've probably gone on a long enough now. Yeah, the, you know, people need the, need a break now to get over this uh, episode. Well, it's taken most of my uh, day just to record yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, as ever, we are on all sorts of places: Facebook, 
Instagram, Twitter, at... Uh, is it at the Two Piece Podcast, Ben? It is, Dan. Yes, it is at the Two Piece Podcast. Yeah, just, just, just remember <laughs> it. Just remember it. <laughs> and that isn't a funny way to try and get it across. I'm genuinely that bad um, at remembering stuff. So yeah, on there, um, please check out if you are so inclined the the group and get pictures of your your stuff on there. We love seeing pictures of what people are working on and hearing about what people are up to. Mainly because we can steal your ideas. Mostly because of that, yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, or like poor Chris, get you to do reviews for us, or in Dan's case, steal him for uh, interviews. Other than that, I think that's everything, dude. It is, yeah. It's been nice talking to you. Uh, well, and uh, as ever, it has been nice talking to you. And not too much chat about Space Wolves this week, which is a lovely change. Yawn. Or corn, actually, really. Yeah, in fact, I spoke... More about corn than you. You did. spoke more about corn. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, as ever, if you you know if you want to hit us up with some questions, please do that because I mean we filled a hobby desk full of answering your guys' questions this week. So, um, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Yes, indeed. Bye, guys. Bye.